Hello, listening people. Hello. Oh, you're very jovial. Oh. And I'm Ryan. That's jovial, and I'm Ryan. I'm jovial. You're listening to Spin Polish Presents with me, Ryan Swinski, and... Bartek Jovial. Bartek Jovial. And uh, as you could tell, we're called Spin Polish, likingly because we're always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish. And we both happen to be Polish. Isn't that right, Jovial? The most Polish last name ever. Please, Jovial's my father. Call me Bartek. (laughs) So, you're listening to Spin Polish Presents Unappreciated Masterpieces. On Unappreciated Masterpieces, what Bartek and... I try to do is we get those, we select a movie that we feel needs to be appreciated more. A movie that has been left out of the limelight. One that was in the eye of the public, not completely forgotten, but not completely remembered either. Those movies that when we say the title, you're like, yeah, I remember that. And you may or may not have seen it. But we have seen them, and we feel like these movies need to be talked about. They need to be discussed. They needed to be analysed, because at the end of the day, someone made this movie. A group of people spent moments of their lives that they'll never get back. Minutes. Some, minutes, days, years. Seconds, even. Yeah, you, <laughs> thank you. And, and they spent time on something that we have just taken for granted, and I feel like we owe them... The creators a service yes. to talk about these movies. Yeah, who better than him and me? Who better than two Polish people, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know. So, Bartek, that's yeah. what we do. Yeah. But we have to talk about a movie in this episode. And if the people haven't obviously read the title of the episode uh, for this one, what is the movie we're watching? Because I, I, I don't know. The movie we're watching today... Like, look. <clears throat> the name of the movie that we're watching today is... The Green Hornet 3D. <laughs> now, I don't speak Italian, but I feel like you were trying to be Polish there. Yeah. I don't know. Um, could it be... Should I say it again just to give you like... Yeah, definitely, <clears throat> definitely. I don't speak Polish or Italian, so I don't know. The Green Hornet 3D. Well, I definitely got the 2D part. That's, that's clear as a bell. Yeah. Something about... Ah, uh, it's. Should it's, I give you another hint? Yeah, if you could draw draw a pictionary. <laughs> yeah. For okay. Me. So it's so, hope. So picture this in your head: buzz, buzz, but it's green. Oh, the green bee! <laughs> so close, so close. What's another word for bee? Wasp. Uh, what's, a, what's a similar thing? Bumble. Bumble, close, <laughs> but but it, uh, it, it's it's like a it's like a horn, you know, and, and it. The green horny. We're watching a porn parody. Oh, are we? <laughs> I hope so. It's got. Can we start the episode already? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, it's Green Hornet. Oh, the Green Hornet, the uh, 2009 classic? 11. 11. 11. Oh, that's right. Yes, 11. I got confused for this reasoning. I listened to the audio commentary and it was recorded in the mid of 2010. Okay. So we'll get back into that. But we don't I thought always... you were going to make like a 9 11 joke. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's insensitive. Uh, so, we are going to talk about the Green Hornet with Seth Rogen. And the Asian... And Jay Je- Chow. Jay Chow, yeah. You racist. And, of course, let's not forget Christoph Waltz. But, you know who else is involved in the Green Hornet? Our guest today. Oh! Oh, yeah, that was a good segue. I'm very proud. Yeah. You know, so, pride's a sin, but, you know, I'm still proud. Ryan, I'm going to introduce the guest. Yeah, go on. Glad you know this. 
ladies and gentlemen, uh, making his first time ever debut. Not that you can ever do a second one, am I right, Ryan? Because <laughs> debut unless you unless we lost the episode. That is true. Like Alistair. Should we say a prayer for Alistair? No, it's he's. If you if you want to watch, if you want to listen to a half an episode, listen to our twenty six minutes of like Mike. Mm. Uh, but let's go into the now. Who's the guest? You're introducing. Guys, we got him with us today. We got JT himself, Jonathan Tropiano. <laughs> yep. Hello, <Hi>. Jonathan Tropiano. <laughs> Tropiano, is that Polish too? That's Italian. Oh, again, we don't have a Polish guest. We've never had a Polish guest. Except Oliver, but you know. Oliver wasn't really Polish, though, was he? Are you really Polish? Yes. Oh, okay. Fair My enough. name's Slawinski, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> so, Jonathan... As I've been told, you like to go by Jono. Uh, well, yeah. Basically, I'm going to call you name. Jono. Okay. For some reason, when prepping for today's podcast, I kept going in my mind, oh, who's the guest? Who's the guest? Jono. Jono. And I just couldn't keep remembering Jono until <laughs> I put on, like, an accent. And I'm like, <laughs> I was just like, oh, I can't wait for Jono to be here. Oh, and I was saying to my girlfriend, I'm like, oh, and she's like, who's the guest? I'm like, it's Jono. <laughs> you know, if you're really Polish, you'd pronounce the J with like a Y sound. So it'd be it's like, Jono, yeah. Jono. But I wasn't doing it. I just kept saying like, oh boy, is it Jono here? He's in the house. So we're joined with Jono. We're joined with Bartek. We're joined with Ryan. We're joined with you. And we're all joined by the magical glue that is the cinematic classic, The Green Hornet. So get your copy prepared, because I imagine you all have a copy of The Green Hornet with Seth Rogen and uh, and Jay Chow and Christoph Waltz, and it's going to be a magical thrill-ride adventure because we are going to start talking about this movie. We're going to dig deep into the forgotten gem of the Seth Rogen treasure chest. That's right. Get yourself prepared, because we're going to start this in 3, 2, 1, play. Yeah! So, this is the Green Hornet, everyone. Now, Jono, you're a first-time guest. Have you ever seen the Green Hornet before having to do this show? No, actually. Um, I remember it coming out. Do you out. feel ashamed? Um, kind of, actually, you after sh- watching you it. You should. <laughs> so, you didn't see it the first time? No. And when it came out, no. I thought... This, this is looks, this looks weird. This is an original film, an original film based on a TV show, based on a radio series. It's an original film. I know, yeah. So you didn't see it. What stopped you the first time? Are you not a Seth Rogen fan? Um, at the time, no. Actually, I just I looked at it. I'm like, um. And now you are. Um, yeah. Generally, I like his films. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound too excited. I mean, here's a questioning part of the real questions of being questioning. Lots of questions. You didn't like Seth Rogen when he was at the height of Seth Rogen? This is like the height of Seth Rogen. I mean, this is like yeah. the peak of Seth Rogen. I, I mean, I know he's got Sausage Party, which I can't wait to talk about, by the way, because this is involved. Oh, God, that. But you didn't like Seth Rogen at his height? You're one of those guys, aren't you? Where you're like, I like them when they've already peaked. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, when, when, they've gone, when they've gone from top to humble. Yeah, when they've gone from hip to stir. So, you didn't see it the first time. Did you know what it was about? I knew it was about crime fighting, and that's all I went off. So, you didn't know it was based on a property of the same no, name? No, I didn't. So, you didn't know that Kato was originally played by Bruce Lee himself? No, no. I thought this was something that some a couple of dudes 
thought of when they were doing weed or you mean you can say Seth Rogen yeah <laughs> you oh can, yeah you could he you is thought a right pretty much movie. Rogen, you thought yeah. it was Pineapple Express with fighting yes pretty there much. is fighting in Pineapple yeah, Express I mean crime fighting crime fighting oh well there or you superhero go. crime fighting yeah so this is a caped crusader movie because we can't even call it a superhero movie because that implies they have powers or that they have like an alien uh, like a super nemesis or whatever but this is just a gangster movie really yeah. they've got super yeah. senses but that's about it kato has super sense well, does he even uh, to be honest when kato vision happened i actually i actually i forgot and was like, is Kato a robot built by the dad? <laughs> Robocop. Like He's that. a robotic cop. Actually, more like a Terminator, right? Yeah, I thought red... he was like Terminator mixed with Predator. Right. So, you didn't see it the first time. Shame, shame on you. What about you, Bartank? I saw it in cinemas back in 11. Was it a magical experience? It was. But it was, you know, but it was that time where... You know, I was still not really in tune with the whole unappreciated masterpiece, um, uh, majesty <laughs> concept. So it, it was a movie that I walked out being like, yeah, I enjoyed that. Other people don't seem to. I guess that's just the way life is. But I know now that we shouldn't accept that. That's true. And you know, what's great is that I seen it too. Not at the cinema though. I bought it on DVD. I said to myself... It was a magical experience for me, this movie, actually. It's it's very personal to me because it is kind of a, a symbol of my transition from being at home as a teenager to moving out of home to the city, living by myself. It was one of the first movies I bought on DVD when living out of home because I saw it and I was like, oh, it's eight bucks. I, I, you know, I like Seth Rogen. I like action. Maybe I'll like this. And, you know, it is, I, I haven't watched it since the first viewing until for doing this episode. So that because, was 2012? That was think? 2012. Yep. And it's held a very dear place in my heart because I'm a big fan of Christoph Waltz, big fan of Seth Rogen, big fan of Jay Chow, obviously. I mean, who doesn't love Asian pop music? You know, I mean, he's, he's, he's one of the, <laughs> the sentimental guys. And James Franco is in this movie while we speak, who, isn't it funny he looks more like the wizard in this than he does in Oz the Great Great Powerful? So, to make a joke, hey, I thought this was the Green Hornet, not the Green Goblin. (laughs) I guess, laugh, guys. No, you should have said, I thought this was the Green Hornet, not the Emerald City. Oh, Oh, shit, you're absolutely right. You're a fucking idiot, Bartek. (laughs) Even Jono knows you're an idiot. Get out of here. So, oh no, you got an accent. <laughs> oh no, I've caught the case of the the uh, James Franco because his accent's off the chain in this in this. Do you remember his accent's all like all over the place? At moments he's James Franco, and then other moments he's like, yeah, she. I'm, my name's Johnny Clear because I I'm clear like meth. I, I deal meth. Yeah, she. And then other moments he's just he, that's literally his performance. Yeah. And then another moment he's just like, please don't hurt me. And then other moments, he's James Franco, where it's just like, hey, man, you know, like, you know, calm down, Christoph Waltz, you know, I'm a gangster. Yeah. And then he's like, he's doing all those three, where it's like, hey, I'm a gangster, man, so you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he mixes it all together. <laughs> yeah, no. It's a fine... This is a reason why he needs to win an Oscar, because he can mix three completely separate characters and sew them into a fine web for just one scene. Yes. But speaking of winning an Oscar... 
Christoph Waltz. He needed to win an Oscar to really <laughs> redeem himself. <laughs> the thing is, I love Christoph Waltz. He's one of those charismatic actors, but the problem with Christoph Waltz is, let's be 100% honest with ourselves. Outside of Tarantino movies, is he that good? I think the answer is yes. In this movie, definitely. Well, he's a saving grace of the movie. And not to say that's a negative thing. The whole movie works. But, you know, there's always one thing in in the pile that shines more than others. It's Christoph Waltz. John, are you familiar with Christoph Waltz? Um, all yeah. I'll say is that he constantly looks like a Bond villain. He is a Bond villain. Well, before that, even still. Oh, yeah. But... I, even when I looked at him, I'm just like, oh, that's this guy, I can imagine this guy being a Bond villain. And I was right. Well, yeah, he was obviously in Inglorious Bastards as yeah. the Jew Hunter, obviously, and then Django. <laughs> hey, I love you, you love. Ha! That's his title. I'm, I just, I just never saw that. But... You missed out on the greatest Christoph Waltz performance. He literally opens the movie by going to this French guy's house. They're hiding Jews underneath the floorboards, and he's asking about milk. Like he's more concerned about milk than <laughs> exterminating Jews. And then he has this whole giant conversation about how his pipe's bigger than that guy's pipe. It's great he's in Django of course Django Unchained as King Schultz which he did win an Oscar for he won an Oscar for every Tarantino which is two yeah he's the only actor in a Tarantino movie to win an Oscar (laughs) twice and then you know you get the joy of Christoph Waltz being villainous and everything Water for Elephants the new Tarzan movie James Bond the Green Hornet it's it's marvellous butts are in this movie as well in Clay okay 100% 100% honest with you. I did not realize that all of these shots were actually Seth Rogen because I thought, oh, because some of them, because he's lost a lot of weight for this movie, right? I actually thought some of the shots, not the so obvious ones, were Paul Rudd. I'm like, oh, is it like they're going to set up that he has a wingman and it's Paul Rudd because it's already got James Franco in this movie. Why wouldn't Paul Rudd be next? And then I was really disappointed to find out it was just Seth Rogen. So we kind of, when we were talking about our histories, we kind of skipped over the whole introduction sequence where it was set like 20-something years ago. Oh, where he was a kid and his dad literally ripped the head off not Superman? Not Superman. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I personally thought it was like a mix between Superman and Scuba Steve from Big Daddy. Uh, well, you're clearly wrong. Bartek, if you are a fan of the show, which I assume you are, he is obviously the captain... From Kangaroo Jack, that the young character, the young version of the main character had a compass of, oh, and right. he lost it in the ocean and nearly drowned trying to get. Clearly, Bartek uh, is not up to date with unappreciated masterpieces. Damn it! I, I mean, I forgot about I mean, episode three. I mean, Jono has only been here for like fifteen minutes, and he knows more about this show, and he hasn't even listened to the show before. I mean, you know, he's speechless. By your negligence. Isn't that right, Jono? Pretty much, yeah. He's speechless. <laughs> speechless. It's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Jono. He is 24 years of age and he is watching The Green Hornet. Now, Jono, you've watched it for the first time. This is technically a second time. Technically, yeah. We are watching this silent with subtitles, of course, to keep interested enough to talk and watch at the same time. Jono, watching this the second time with no sound, uh, have you noticed the brilliance of the movie? Uh, have you noticed the layers and the foreshadowing and just the general kind of, uh, well, like I said, brilliance? 
Um, I've just noticed like how well set up everything is for you know the um, you know. Uh, Climax? Yeah. yeah, the climax. Pretty climax. Much. Yeah, um, they really set up the dad being alive. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and can you believe how at the end of the movie you find out the dad was a good person all along? I actually thought, would it be a plot twist if his dad was actually like a Holocaust denier? <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know, he may as well be. <laughs> so he, he ripped off the head of a toy. Yeah. Uh, you know what I got out of this? You know, this is my problem. I think this is a weakness of the movie. Because it's a strength as well. It follows the tropes and conventions of typical Hollywood cinema, especially these type of movies mm. where the dad, you know, a parent has to die for the hero to be born. Yes. But where it falters, where it falls apart but is a strength, is the fact that the dad is an asshole to this guy his entire life and then he dies and the guy and he learns that his dad was actually a stand-up guy and that makes his dad a good guy. Well, no, he's still a, he was still horrible to you. Like he's, if anything, the movie already sets up in this universe. He is a stand-up guy. At the end of the movie, it just basically stated, yeah, he was an asshole. But guess what? He was a stand-up guy. And then the the character development is Seth Rogen realizes he was a stand-up guy too. But he was still like the worst father ever. All right. Like, there's no redeeming part of him as a dad. Uh, Digital Underground. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, what? DJ Underground. Digital Underground. Digital Underground. Oh, yeah, they were in nothing but trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, Ryan, you're, you're not seeing the main picture. The big picture. He was already a good guy, but then you found, find out that he was taking bribes, but he didn't want to. So he's oh, an even better so he guy. he wouldn't have gone to prison at all. So he's an excellent guy. Isn't that right, Jono? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> I bribe Jono all the time, <laughs> and he doesn't want it, but I force it on him. So therefore, he's a great guy. That's cold. Yeah, that's cold. Lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jono, you saw this. What did you? What was your feelings on it? Having watched it the first time round, did you enjoy it thoroughly? What What did you take away from this movie? I generally thought it was actually pretty good. I was surprised how well what good it was. Um, I just had this conceived notion that it was shit and everything like that. And I... no, that's a problem with, with <laughs> Hollywood Hollywood, and general the way we are desensitised to what could be considered mediocrity. You know, we consider a movie that think, think, when this movie came out, it's a very interesting time for cinema, especially for what this is trying to do, because this is when Marvel was in its footsteps of controlling all of the Hollywood landscape, because basically, let's look at the Hollywood landscape. Every movie's a superhero movie, thanks to Marvel. I don't care you DC guys are being like, oh, Christopher Nolan's Batman. No, fuck you as Iron Man. We all know that's the truth. So, <laughs> fuck you. So, John, are you a Marvel guy or a DC guy? <laughs> and then he goes, I'm a Dark Horse guy. I'm DC, but I'm honestly going to keep quiet. <laughs> but no, no, you know what I mean? In terms, of, in terms of the cinematic landscape, the Hollywood cinematic landscape has been forged by the Marvel... Marvel, Marvel. Set, up, Marvel set up the universe, the cinematic kind of yeah. universe that everyone's trying to get But now. also the tone. Yeah, the, sort of the tone, like... Because this, because the Christopher Super- Nolan Batman movies were dark. Are, they were just like yeah, but they were cool. Just- but in this thing, they also stand like for me, they kind of stand separate from the superheroes movies well, yeah, in because general because this they're one more artistic. Doesn't forget that there's humor in superheroes. Exactly. This one doesn't. It's there's darkness, but there's not 
too much. It doesn't. It just goes in and, and out. And there's a plot. Yeah, there's a plot. Unlike the current DC movies. Yeah, and it's easy to follow. Whereas you could just got to unravel. It's it's like trying to unravel string or headphones. But unlike <laughs> uh, a Marvel movie, see, this is where this meets a perfect balance. See, this was yeah. dominate. See, this came out at the wrong time. Marvel had just got their foot place. They were working up to the Avengers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this was like a year yeah. before, I think. Year before, but people were too pumped about the Avengers. Who wants to watch a movie with Seth Rogen as the Green Hornet when you'd rather see Captain America punch Red Skull or, or like, you know, or see Dark Knight Rises or all these bigly anticipated movies are leading up to bigger movies. This is just a one-shot movie. Like, you know, it could have been a sequel. I'm still waiting. Still waiting on a sequel. Mm-hmm. This was just a really odd time for the Green Hornet to be. It's an unfortunate time, but maybe, you know, like with all cult classics, we go back and look at them. Because this is considered mediocre when you got the standards of, of the current land of the landscape then and the current landscape of superhero movies in which they somehow managed to tell an interesting story with likable characters and set up fifteen movies at the same time. You know, like I don't care if you're a Marvel fan or or a DC fan. Both of the Marvel and DC movies are doing that. That's their thing. They're, they're trying to have an interesting plot with several interesting characters while setting up several interesting plot points for future movies. Could I ask you guys a question about a movie you've seen that I haven't? Yes. I want to ask something about Deadpool, a oh, recent yeah. movie. Um, so that obviously the whole idea of that is that he breaks the fourth wall and stuff like that. Mm. D- does he also play with like superhero tropes? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. A lot. Yeah. All the time. So do you think that maybe... Seth Rogen should have rocked up as the yeah. Green Hornet? <laughs> that, or do you think that maybe that, <laughs> more on the topic of the movie, that, that that movie was inspired by this movie, The Green Hornet? Well, it's very hard to say, you know. it's It, it kind of does because yeah. it uses the funky soundtrack of this movie yeah. a lot. It has a comedic lead actor as the, as the hero, of course, Seth Rogen and Ryan Reynolds are both comedic actors. And it is fourth wall break, and this less so, obviously, but, you know, this is... Uh, uh, well, I wasn't really talking about the fourth wall, more like the playing with tropes. Like, you know, there's a point mm. not too long from now where Seth Rogen has this whole speech to Cato about how, um, you know, the, a hero's weakness is their loved ones and people will attack those so they should not have a loved ones. They should appear like villains so that they have that defense. That's true, yeah. Yeah, so Deadpool got inspired by Green Hornet. How do you feel, Jono? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll take it, yep. Take, you, can, you can see where I'm going with this. Yeah. Like yeah. always, he'll take anything from you, Bartek. Yeah. If you give I'll take your, anything. He'll take all of it. Good, because you know what will happen to your family if you don't, right? Yeah, what exactly. happened to Seth Rogen's bee stings? <laughs> bee stings. <laughs> Fucking hell. I'm going to be honest, though. That's a weakness of this movie. Uncle Ben got shot. His dad just got stung by a bee. But then we find out, oh, but Jono, it's not a bee. It's not a bee, but an evil DA Harvey Dent kind of guy. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Now, the best part of this movie-going experience, guys, is I own this on DVD. Yeah. So I listen to this with the audio commentary like I mentioned earlier. But even better is the gag reel. Now, the gag reel in movies like this with Seth Rogen, you'd expect it to be during the credits. But no, this is trying to take itself as a serious superhero comedy. So it's not doing that. So it's like an outtakes yeah. feature on the DVD. Yeah, and it's the best part of it is, guys, the, the DA, 
there's a bit in the movie, I'll point it out when it does come, but it's like him, and now Bartek, I know you would love this, because you've talked about it many times on the show, being an extra and having to pretend to say stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, the DA is giving the giving a speech in front of, in a flashback sequence, giving the speech, and the camera's panning out, and then panning in, and it's all this. He, in the gag reel, you're actually hearing what he says, which is basically, hi, I'm such and you know, such and such actor, and I'm playing DA Scanlon. The writers thought it was a wise idea for me to give a speech, but even wiser that they didn't actually write me a speech. So I'm going to stand here and pretend that I'm saying something just so it looks visually interesting. Hey, I'll share a dark secret with you that's from my childhood that still haunts me today. When I was a young boy, I liked to wear women's clothing. I still like to wear them now. And just like, it just, like, just keeps going. It just keeps going. And then it like, cuts to another funny gag run. I'm like, that's like the best part. <laughs> I can definitely appreciate that. And I imagine, Bartek, that's something you would do. So, Bartek, are you a fan of the original property of the Green Hornet? I'm not really familiar with the original property. I, I did do some reading about it last night. Apparently, the at least whatever was around in the 50s or 60s, they had a cameo on the Adam West Batman show. Yes, everyone had. That Everyone was on the Adam West, Adam's family, oh, so everyone. The Adam's West Batman was... Did you say Adam family? The Adams family were on there, and oh, everyone right. everyone was on there. So it was like the used bicycle of the 60s, was it? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, Adam West was the bicycle of the 60s. Poor Adam. <laughs> so, so, but, but you never saw the original? No, I didn't. Well, the original, only one season, might I add, mm. I do believe, or one year at least, it's very important in the landscape of of uh, cinema and TV because it's kind of the thing that Bruce Lee appeared in for Americans. And then he did all of his movies that obviously got him acclaimed. But it was his first... One of his first attempts to make it in America, to to do something recognisable in America. And, and in the show did not go on to be a success. But it is a legacy of Bruce Lee. It is that thing where people point to the Green Horn and go, Kato, that's Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is Kato. Like, but with this movie, Jay Chow does an amazing job, I think. You know, he's a, I'm very disappointed to learn that he has not gone on to do much more acting. He's more of a singer. And his English is not the greatest. But he, I, I understood everything he said in this movie. I think he has a charm and a personality that could carry on into bigger, better movies. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a bit of Jackie Chan. It kind of reminds me of a friend of ours, Kien. Yeah, good on Kien. Uh, who, who has this innocence that, that Kato has in this movie. That's the, that's the thing. How do you feel, guys, about having a movie in which the dynamic is Batman and Robin kind of dynamic in which the rich, powerful, billionaire, whatever, dressing up as a superhero with his young boy sidekick kind of stuff. In this dynamic, though, with what we like to joke about Batman and Robin, where, you know, there's jokes where Batman's a dick to Robin and all yeah. that. In this movie, he's actually a dick to Kato. And how do you feel about that? Like, he's, he's even racist towards Kato at times. He calls Kato out on his bullshit when he does give bullshit. He, he treats him like a servant. He keeps saying, you're not a hero, you're just my sidekick. I'm more important than you. And he doesn't really learn much other than getting punched in the face by Kato and goes, oh, that's a transition to be a good person. How do you guys feel about the dynamic of Kato and the Green Hornet? You want to go first, John, or shall I? Oh, you go first. So, on the surface, 
I guess the audience reaction would be to you know, feel more sorry for Kato because he's not being treated with the respect he deserves. But when you really think about it, you have to feel a lot of sympathy, maybe even empathy, for Britt Reid, for Seth Rogen's character, because it's very clear after like the first time they've gone out and beat up people together, quotes, that he's got this kind of delusion going, that he is this great person, that he is the one holding the team together, even though it's very clearly Kato who's done basically everything except come up with the idea of ejector seats. You'd know that eventually... That saves him later. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and he admits that it was a good idea. Um, you know that eventually there is going to be that point where he realises that he was wrong, that he wasn't the glue, that he was only one member of the team. So mm. keeping that in mind, and this is the brilliant thing about it being not meta, but uh, playing with the tropes of the superhero movie, you know that that's going to happen, and the longer it takes to get there, the more you know it's going to impact him. Mm, it impacted me as a viewer. It impacted me like that head on the ground. That's a good one for the people who are watching this whilst listening, but you guys who aren't listening, there, watching or listening, you guys suck it wasn't up. Wasn't there a cartoon back in the 90s where a head got ripped off of a statue? I do believe it was The Simpsons. What's that about? The What's the... Jono, what's The Simpsons about? What are The Simpsons? So, what, Jono, <laughs> what is your feeling on the, the dynamic that they create here between our two heroes? But, you know, you saying well, being a DC fan, you understand... You would understand. Well, like I said, dynamics. I wasn't familiar with um, uh, the Green Hornet. I only found out until Bartek told me. Um, but <laughs> good way to find out. Yeah, but he forced it on you. Yeah, pretty much. After I was getting some money off him. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, after I was getting money off you, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That's right. <laughs> um, but no, I, Bartek was right when he said um, uh, Seth Britt Reed has like this delusional fantasy that like. Um, he's like the hero and he's holding everything together um but generally speaking like you can understand why he feels like that because his dad ripped like a toy oh uh, yeah. yeah you know when i get yeah. my toy head ripped yeah. off i become a vigilante too <laughs> pretty much well Jono's absolutely right because as you're a, when you're a kid what else do you have yeah oh, i don't know a mansion a pool maids Ryan, Cars. I mean, he was rich. Okay, look, Ryan, Like, I'll, I'll go step by step. Mansion doesn't have a head. Pool doesn't have a head. Maids have head, but that's going to be a crime. <laughs> Pools. <laughs> oh, thank you, Bartek, for that. So, here's the first time we get Kato Vision, and a first real taste of what action is going to be like in this movie. And, you know, action today has been getting more appreciation in terms of filmmaking thanks to movies like John Wick and Mad Max where it's showing us how action is done right. You know, this action I do believe, uh, according to the commentary, was uh, uh, directed, choreographed at least some of it by the guy who does the Bourne movies. Okay. And that really does show okay, through. Yeah. Uh, I, think it is, I think the scene they point out is the one where Seth Rogen and him fight in the house and what I like about the action in this movie is it plays around with film conventions like we just saw with the multiple car effects, but it has that Bourne feel, that John Wick feel, that, that Mad Max feel, which is every object, and the Jackie Chan feel, that every object is going to be used. Every object is set up. So if they're going to fight in a pool room, they're going to use the pool table and the balls and 
and the cues and all that. Or if there's a foosball table, they're going to use that for a comedic effect. Like, you know, <laughs> that was a great moment. And if there's a motorbike, they're going to ride it at each other. You know, they, they and if there's a pool, they're going to get in the pool in the fight. Like, like, that's the cool thing about this movie is that they the action is not sloppy. Ah, so what Jono mentioned earlier a couple of minutes ago, mise-en-scene being important. It is important, Jono. Jono. Yeah, um, <laughs> Jono, Jono. Uh, do you remember that James Franco movie called Runner, Runner? I remember the In name. which he was like, I can't remember, I think. I get confused with Spring Breakers because at the same time. And I think it's like the one where he's like doing drug running. He's running drugs. And I feel like James Franco's character from that movie and this movie are the same character. <laughs> wouldn't it be a movie? Wouldn't it be great if there was a movie called Jono Jono, in which it's a movie about Jono trying someone to will, run away from you? Someone will make it. Someone will make it. I'll make it. One, one of you two will make it. I'll be you like, can, and it's like done up. like Runner Runner. It's like, yeah. and it's Bartek running after you, like Tom Hanks does Leonardo DiCaprio and Catch Me If You Can. Catch Me If You Jono. <laughs> you can commission a stark reality to do it. Oh, no. So... Seth Rogen, um, I already forgot his name, Jay Chow. A great comedic duo, I think. I, I would actually, you know, outside of another Green Hornet movie, I'd actually watch a movie with these two guys. I like their chemistry. Yeah. I know they've got a standoffish chemistry throughout this movie, but when there's a scene where Jay Chow says that you're my brother, whatever the word was, the chemistry really radiates from the both of them. I really believe it. Yeah, it's like, you weren't exactly expecting him to say that, but when he said it, it was like, oh, that was genuine, it felt spontaneous, and I actually believe you. I I just kind of of like that... Can we call it an Asian sincerity? I guess you could. Yeah, Yeah. alright. It's a Kato sincerity. (laughs) So, Jono, Kato is called Kato. He has no superhero name, and it is a plot point of the movie at the end that they're like, why am I just Kato? Like, why can't we come up with a cool name? What's your name for Kato? (laughs) If you had to come up with a name for him as a superhero, what would your Kato Kato uh, alias be? Oh, God. Um, I'm not sure. Come on. (laughs) Think of one. I'll let Bartek and myself go, but you've got to think of one. This is what being a guest on this show is. Being spontaneously asked to think of something great on the spot. Bartek. Watch Bartek. He's going to show us how to do it. What's Kato's superhero name? Honey. Because <laughs> he's got it with a B, so he's Honey. They did make a joke about him being called the Honey Pot. Mm-hmm. But just Honey. Just Honey? Or just the Honey Bee. Look, when you... The <laughs> Honey Bee, yeah. He could actually <laughs> be the Green like Bee. Um, no, but look, Honey... Honey pot, that's a very specific, you know, device man made. And it could be a great honey. joke. It's like on Blackadder where they call a guy, the guy's name's Darling. You could have so many jokes with him just being called Honey. It's like, Honey, I'm home. And he's just like, Shut up. <laughs> he's like with his girlfriend. It's like, Stop it. I'm with my girlfriend. Honey. And he's like, Shut up. <laughs> and then, <laughs> that's actually a great title. <laughs> honey. I was thinking of something like, like, wouldn't it be weird if in the sequel. His name was Bloodnovsky because he killed... No, Seth Rogen killed Bloodnovsky, didn't he? Um, no, no, James Chow! I mean, Jay Chow stabbed him in the eyes! Yeah, but whoever, like, made the car go forward would be the killer. No, that's of the attorney. Oh, I'm sorry, that was the attorney, you're right. Bloodnovsky, um, who we haven't even talked about. No, we haven't. 
and we won't. That's the point of, of unappreciated masterpieces. We only talk about the elements that don't work. We, we talked about Krzysztof <laughs> Waltz already, so... Yeah, I, I guess that's Polish. I, I, don't, I don't speak uh, Polish. I just... I, just <laughs> I speak genre. I am genre. Yeah. So, you know, I think I would have come up with a name. Like, wouldn't it be weird in the second one? He's like, I am Bloodnowski. It's like, why? I take the name of my victims because he... Kills so many people in this movie, Kato. Kato at the end. This is you know, this is why I think this movie also it was a pre-dead. This is also yeah. how it helped Deadpool. It has this dark sense of humor, which is Deadpool kills people, and there's no moral questioning and brooding about it. They don't even address it a lot of the time. In this movie, the same. What does Kato do to solve the movie? He's like, Seth Rogen's like. I didn't get the recording. It wasn't recording. So D.A. Scanlon's scot-free. Kato's like, don't worry. He literally is like, I, don't worry. I've got this. And just turns the car <laughs> around and, <laughs> and murders him. Yeah. He, his solution was murder. And then they eject his seat out and go, ha, ha, ha. And then it literally ends with, D.A. Scanlon died. You know, that sort of stuff happens. Oh, well. <laughs> this moves on. So... Just to just to summarize that, he goes, "Oh well, Plan B." Then does Plan B? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Akano murder—he shoots a guy, like mainly to save Seth Rogen, but like he kills so many people. Kano is in fact um, and James Franco kills. I mean, not James. I mean, Seth Rogen. His pal kills people too. So many people get murdered. I mean, he killed... Uh, Christoph Waltz gets killed. You know, my favourite character, Chili, dies. <laughs> With his good friend, Popeye. <laughs> Remember Popeye? Yeah. So, in this film, there's many funny moments. You know, we, we, we laugh at a lot of things, but the funniest moment is Jono telling us his superhero name for... Uh, for Kato, because I'm not letting you go, Jono. I just said, wasn't it Honeybee? Honeybee, Honeybee, Honey, Honeybee. Oh, you're lame. I'm just going to call him Jono. Or just a third wheel <laughs> or something super, like that. His superhero name is your name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And because he has a name. My favorite part of the movie, actually, is when you see Kato at home. And he's, like, watching the TV. And he has a martial arts trophy. And it just says Kato. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't have a last name. <laughs> So, if anything, wouldn't it be great if his superhero name is, like, a normal name, like, Jonna, and his, and his alias name, and his, like, and his real alias name is, it's like, Kato the Great! You know what I really love? We're talking about coming up with names in the scene where they're coming up with a name. Well, I'm better than all the green trench coat guy. Good one! Wouldn't that be a fucking genius? Whoever got him as a journalist must have been really proud the day they hired that one. You know, I was a bit surprised in this scene because I thought it was going for a different kind of joke. The joke where a character gives an idea and then, much like the first Blackadder, the main character goes, wait, no, I have an idea, and then says that idea and takes the credit for it. No. But they didn't. Because later on, you find out that Kato does not like being, like, lesser to the point in which he has a psychotic breakdown about it out of nowhere. <laughs> so, fun fact, guys. There were many other people for the role of Kato. And one of them was James... I do believe James Chow, who is the director of a cinematic classic, Kung Fu Hustle. Okay. Which I love. 
It is a movie in which I will argue any little person down. Jono, um, <laughs> we had there was a guy at our university who, when we were doing our show at the end of our drama course, we had to pitch the idea and talk about the kind of things we want in it. Part of our idea was that we wanted it to be about a film crew making a bad movie and therefore there will be parts in our show where there will be some... They're know, over the top. Bad acting, <laughs> over the top thing. Cartoony. He, yeah, and right, we listed some examples like The Room and Kung Fu Hustle and one of the people we were pitching it to had a really big thing about why Kung Fu Hustle is not a good idea. Or like No, not, he's not, like, you can't compare... You can't compare anything to Kung Fu. Like, so, Kung Fu is not over the top. It's like a cinematic classic. I'm like, it's literally mixing live action with Looney Tunes. Yeah, so Ryan had this whole comeback about why he was wrong about Kung Fu Hustle, and that silenced him. And Talking about coming comeback, it's uh, Cameron Diaz. And the whole room was <laughs> yeah. just uh, in amazement. And yes, Cameron Diaz is back. It is our favourite honeypot, Cameron Diaz. <laughs> Um, so... No little girls this time, right? She's older than Seth Rogen in this movie, and James, and, uh, Jay Chow. I find it cool that the love... Uh, she's not even a love interest, but she's played off as that for a little while, and she doesn't kiss either of them, she doesn't want none of their shit. She's like, I'm a strong, independent woman. She straight up tells them that they could be gay for all she cares. <laughs> she really does straight up tell them yeah. lots of shit. <laughs> God, I miss Cameron Diaz. You know, watching Annie... And this for the show. Cameron Diaz has a real charm and, and verb about her. She has a real kind of... She's just an, a, a warm presence. She's got that that infectious smile that we're seeing right now on screen. You know? Like, she, she's just got something. And she's attractive, obviously. But she's just just got a real... She, she comes across as a genuinely nice person. Even when she's playing not nice people. Hmm. And I think that's a rare thing to capture as an actor to get that to beam through it's very hard mm. and i think that's the strength of this movie genre when you're watching that did you not feel the strength of that uh generally i i tend to actually think cameron Diaz is better in roles that are just where she's nice because she's naturally um she's in her face she's naturally a nice person she seems mm. like she's quite um energetic and stuff like that yeah and did you think she was nice in this movie um, yeah, as well, especially, like, in the scenes where she, like, was so angry, she, um, when Seth Rogen came to, like, explain, um, that she, he needs her help and everything like that, um, especially when he's got, um, when he's gotten shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was hilarious. I just thought, oh my. So, we, we have Black Annie behind our belts. Black like, yeah. Yeah, from, like, two, Blanny. three months ago. Jono, before you saw this movie yesterday, I believe it was, when was the last time you saw Cameron Diaz in a movie? Um, Charlie's Angels, the first one. Wow, you didn't yeah. even see um, the cinematic classic The Other Woman? No, I didn't. My sister has. She you loved it. idiots! <laughs> That's it, I'm out of this podcast. I can't host a show with a guy who hasn't seen every Cameron Diaz movie, especially The Other Woman. I mean, it's got Nicki Minaj in it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to John and Polish Presents. <laughs> <laughs> Featuring an angry Polish man in the background screaming about Nicki Minaj's acting get debut classic, The Other Woman. Ryan's our Statler and Waldorf. I am, I am, I am just that ambient noise between <laughs> gasps of rage. You know who's better than Jono? Me! Oh, <laughs> Was that your Kermit the Frog? Or I don't know what that no, was. I, I don't know what that was either. It wasn't my Kermit the Frog. It was freaking... I just said Statler and Waldorf. I think it was his fuzzy bear. 
That was Probably, a bit awkward. Yeah. He doesn't get... Oh, I love his budget. looking genuinely shocked. He doesn't realise that we are being the Statler and Waldorf of his Statler and Waldorf. We don't have to well, do the voice. I do not approve of this. Do not make fun of Cameron Diaz's voice. She is a very sensual and squeaky voice. She is a feminist in this movie because she is not kissing any of the boys. This is a movie in which Marvel and DC could learn from. If you said to me, Jono, that she was going to play Wonder Woman's sister, I'd believe you because she's a strong woman. She would be the better sister. How good would it be <laughs> instead of making... Like, people are anticipating Wonder Woman, the movie, right? Because it'll be like, oh, well, the first big female superhero as well. Wouldn't it be great if it's actually like a marketing ploy and it's actually about her sister? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be so fun. <laughs> it's like Wonder Woman's barely in the movie and it's just like, why are we hanging out with Cameron Diaz? I don't know why we're hanging out with Cameron in this movie. Completely undermined. Where's Gal Gadot? We want to know if she's a genuinely good actress or not because she was in too little of Batman v Superman for us to actually properly judge. So, hold on. Yeah. Wonder Woman is a Greek goddess, right? Yes. She is. Yeah. With an Amazonian-esque kind of thing going does, on. Does that Greek goddess happen to have a sister? I technically, they're all sisters. They're like... Sister. They're all sisters. Yeah, they're okay. technically all sisters. Also, it could be a whole movie about the sisters. It could be called Milf Island. They could make, like, bridesmaids <laughs> or something with the sisters. This week on Milf Island. No, that's a, a 30 Rock joke there. So... We are at the point in which there is still yet to be a plot, kind of. There's they're, they're kind of getting ready to be heroes, yeah? They got, they're just laying the groundwork for now. They're laying the groundwork. Now, let's talk about the, the villain. What was his name? Chud- Chudnovsky. 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 Is that Polish? Chudnovsky. Well, I mean... It's not spelled with an I, so I don't think so. That's actually a good point, Ryan. It, oh, it's spelled with a Y? It might be, it's spelled Ru- with a y. It might be Russian, then, but, you know, given his accent... I'm He's German, sure. clearly. Have you listened to his act? Did you pay attention to his accent in this movie? It changes a lot. At one point, he was Australian. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Christoph Waltz, obviously, he speaks several languages. English is not even one of the higher ones. He's, 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 the thing about Christoph Waltz that makes him, like a lot of European actors that transition into Hollywood films, it makes him a villain is because it's that thing with with people who speak other languages, especially Europeans, because their vernacular is closer to the English language than, than uh, say, say Jackie Chan is with English. They are very precise on their pronunciation of words, and that's what makes yeah, a lot of them villains. I will admit, what you just said right there reminded me of Christoph Waltz. That's all the charm of Christoph Waltz is, is he takes... His time to tell you that he is going to fuck you. And that's what makes him intimidating. He's got this rhythm of a foreign person trying to maintain a menace, but also just really trying to speak English. Johnny, you said before you didn't see Inglourious Bastards? No. Definitely check it out. Because what Ryan just said right there, that's exactly his performance. That His performance Oscar. is so good. There's a bit in it where, I know, we're talking about Green Hornet, but, you know... Without the without Inglorious Bastards, he wouldn't be in this movie, because he was he was made for us in the West from Inglorious Bastards. I guess it's kind of like Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, Mads with, Mikkelsen. from Mads Mikkelsen. I think the D silent. I'm not really sure, but basically Mads. in Denmark he plays all sorts of like roles from like a kindergarten teacher to a comedic guy. Oh, the to hunt's like, great. To like a butcher. Oh, I love the hunt. Um, 
like a butcher. And then that he played kills, a Bond villain. <laughs> butcher that kills people, but it's a comedy. And then in the West, when he's in films like Casino Royale, he plays uh, and Hannibal of the TV show. He's a villain. He's a crazy villain. Yeah. So it's because they're both far. They got both got that European sensibility, and with the vocal things that they have to do, they have to to maintain the English language, they have to be very precise. And with that precision comes a... And their accent comes a weird rhythm that is intimidating as fuck. Mm. It's so... Like, Christoph Waltz is genuinely intimidating in this movie, as well as hilarious. Don't you think so, guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd say more hilarious rather than... What about the moment where he kills... You'd upset him from saying that, John. What about... (laughs) What about right. it's genuinely inti- I got that reference. It's genuinely intimidating when he he actually kills John Connor in this movie. You know that, right? Fair enough. Yeah. No, you know that he kills John Connor in this movie, yeah? You know that, right? What are you talking about? Edward Furlong, who was John Connor in T2 Terminator 2 Judgment Day, is in it as the guy who runs the meth lab. Oh, that guy, really? That's John Connor. I would so never have guessed that. Waltz, he's actually killed the rest of the human race by killing our one piece <laughs> of resistance. I had no idea that was him. Yeah, Edward Furlong. Yeah, it's him. So he he is John Connor. You know, he, he's a very troubled man in real life. He's very much like Macaulay Culkin. If you've got a favour, look them up. And, um, you know, Cameron Diaz, do me a favour. Uh, so... There's that thing with Edward Furlong and Macaulay Culkin where they're child stars, lots of potential, great films, and they've just fallen apart. They're drug addicts, and and, and, and you still see labs. them, and they have meth and you see them in movies, and you're like, oh, that's kind of nice. You're like, oh, that's cool. You know, they're trying to make it still. Mm, that's nice. And Edward Furlong is unrecognizable in this movie. I actually, I will be one hundred percent honest with you, and I hope. You agree with me. I hope, hope, hope. I genuinely thought that that character that Edward Furlong plays was an Asian man. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was like one of those Vietnamese guys. Like, you know those typical movie things where you see like an old Vietnamese guy and they're always like running the meth labs or like the things in movies. Like, you know, there's always like the Chine, the Asian sect of the gang. And since this guy actually runs every gang in LA. That's like my favourite part. Is Christoph Waltz is like, I run every gang in LA. I run all of them. How did he do that? Well, we, it gets explained. But he did that in like a week. Like, DA Scanlon hasn't been around. It would be like, that would take like 25 years to be the leader of all of the gangs. All of them. Well, I mean... But it that... took him two, two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. In that montage, I mean, they seem like they're only like Half a dozen gangs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, there's there's that, you know, there's, also, there's things. Also, beanbags. Well, it's non-lethal. Yeah, I know, but this is like the one time... We see they, them? They, yeah, I, I was actually saying, wouldn't it be awkward at the end chase sequence? They're like, shoot the car! They, you know, they have beanbags! Well, that too, but also I think it's the only feature of this car that is non-lethal. Excuse me? They have an airbag? <laughs> oh, is that lethal? No, it can be lethal. <laughs> yeah, can be, but usually it's non-lethal. It's yeah. like our soccer is technically not a contact sport. Actually, is <laughs> he just <laughs> he just killed that guy by just 
teabagging him. Like he's, the ultimate teabag. His ultimate teabag is just, oh, look, first death. Well, first of many. Like, we've already had the dad die, I guess, but, like, this guy gets fucking wailed, and we're just like, haha, joke time. Yeah, it's at this point in the movie where you, like, realise, oh, shit, people are actually dead. Like, I'm sorry, Brett, Brit realises that people are actually dead. Yeah, people, there's a cost to this, yeah. Jono. Jono, could you be a vigilante? Do you think you could handle it? No. <laughs> Way too unfit. <laughs> but if you were going to be... Oh, a... Seth Rogen can do it. You can too. <laughs> if you were going to be a vigilante, who would you look up to? Probably Batman. You mean Green Hornet? Well, that's two. They're, so, bo- they're both like one's bat, one's black, one's green. You know, one's Asian too. You know, like yeah. whatever. Uh, so this is the scene I'm talking about. I genuinely thought like this is a meth lab, and he was a little Asian man that re- look at him. You see, he's got the facial hair of those typical okay. like Vietnamese gangsters, and he's got like the 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 fringe thing going on. I thought like oh, and since he's lit in this poor dim meth lab light I thought oh he's this Asian guy I will admit to you that first shot because of the you know shadows it kind of looked like it but from the second shot onwards no no he really does and then when we see him with in Christoph the first Waltz shot, in the first shot in I this, will admit in this whole scene he does he just kills him with that you know, no, he's Not fine <laughs> he's fine he really does look like a little old Asian man. And then in this next scene, I realize my error, but I've already bought into the idea that he's a little Asian man. So I've, I've, I've lied to myself to the point where I'm like, I'm looking at him in this scene where he's clearly not. And I go, oh, look at this little Asian, this poor Asian man is going to kill by a European man. I guess now that the lighting's gone, his skin does kind of have that little palish Asian Thank you. to it. But I wouldn't say that I think he well, is Asian. Well, I didn't ask you to say that to agree <laughs> with me. I just told you that. That's also, what I Ryan, his last name is Tupper. <laughs> I know that, that's not his last name. It's just his name. You called him Mr. Tupper. Yeah, I like Christoph Waltz genuinely is intimidating in this, but he's also, like you said, Jonna... He's also ridiculous as well. Hilarious. <laughs> with the two guns. With the two guns. Double barrel... Yeah, the double, double barrel handgun. It's awesome. What do you want about? You guys aren't pointing out the fact that he's super insecure. He's so insecure. <laughs> I love how he's like... Like, I thought... I Like, I, I think it's scary, boss. <laughs> like, anything. So, he's got the double barrel gun. You don't think it's cool? I think it's cool. I just said it was cool. It's cool. <laughs> You know, there was a saying on the set of this movie, according to the commentary, which was uh, it's something along the lines of, now, you could go for making sense or being cool. And cool always wins out on top. And that sums up everything about this movie. I guess unless there's, like, a person in the audience who's, like, really nitpicky, mm. then it's kind of like... Ah, and they set up yeah. the gun for the end, where it has that awesome feature where it, like, spreads. Oh, yeah, and the three. Yeah. Was it three? I think it was No, three. no, I thought it was just... It, it like, divides further. Like, he could divide... It, so he could point it at you, and he, now he just presses something, and it just, like, s- like both barrels just, like, aim elsewhere but i thought there was one that still shots forward maybe then it's a triple barrel threat yeah so in this great cinematic classic where were we in 2011 i believe we were all finishing year 12 where were you jono finishing year 12 were you jono you're you're 24 years old yeah i've known jono since year seven uh we were in the same year level he was just one of those guys who was born the year before most of us (laughs) really jono yes 
Are your birthdays now? I don't know. It doesn't add up. <laughs> no. No, it's, it's, he was in my year level, but he no, just was no, a bit it's older. That answer's older. That older, know. So, you guys were in high school. Together. Yes. I was not with these guys. I and grew well, up together, elsewhere. Together, I mean, you know, we're not gay or anything. You, you know? went to an old boys school, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're gay. Uh, it was only a so... second. It was only a second. <laughs> a second of sucking cocks. Yeah, I get it. I'm touching, but... Touching with my mouth. Look, forget, where were you going I don't know what he's talking about. Ryan, where were you going with this? Where I was just kind with? of uh, giving a summary of where we were at life uh-huh. at this point when the movie came out, you know? And you we were both straight. Cinema. We were both straight at this point in That's life. That's all we gay, still so, are. Yeah. So, so, Jono, you were gay at the time, apparently. No, 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 he was straight. He was straight. I don't know. It sounds like you're covering up for, for everything. Just because I'm covering up his sexuality doesn't mean I'm covering up anything of myself. So we're finishing year 12. You managed to see this movie when the exams were coming up. How did you feel? Did it feel like it motivated you to succeed? Like, you know, you saw, you saw you're like, oh, Seth Rogen can do anything. I can too. That's my mentality. I, I, I think if I saw this when I was studying... Uh, what was the most stressful period of my life, which was for me the HSC? Uh, I think seeing this movie would have really put things in perspective for me. Yeah. First of all, uh, John, he's from New South Wales, so he's different. Um, you are scam. And second of all, um, you got to remember that I was doing drama in year twelve, and part of my performance was to watch every Seth the... Rogen movie. I was actually to watch Blackadder, but I'd already seen Blackadder many times. Um, and the character I was playing in my drama solo was Baldrick, so I definitely had to have a lot of comedy going on there. This film, as we know, is a comedy, but it also has serious moments. That is exactly what my performance needed. Comedy, but a lot of serious moments. And therefore, I think that, maybe subconsciously, because again, wasn't really aware of unappreciated masterpiece as a concept back then, just underrated things, I think that this movie definitely would have had an impact on my dramatic solo. Well, I think, I think, I think it really sums it up. Jono, what about you? What was happening then, man? You know, what was what was going through young Jono's mind at the time where I, I suppose you, you didn't see this film? Perhaps, no, I didn't. Perhaps to direct that question a bit more, how do you think this film would have improved your 2011? Um, it probably would have been more movies to see, pretty much. Um, I didn't see much films in that year because studying for um, VC was a nightmare. And was... Excuses, excuses. <laughs> I think we saw a movie on our last day of school, but I can't remember what it was. That was The Breakfast Club. We came to my house and watched that, but I think we went to cinemas. No, we, 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 no we came to your house and watched Breakfast Club okay. on the last day, um, last day of school. And did you fist pump in the air when you walked out of the school and everything no, was but, a freeze frame? No, image? but I think... No, one of the guys actually took their shirt off. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Someone spilled <laughs> coke on him, and so he took his shirt off. That doesn't really help with the gay denial, but um, but yeah. No, it gives us it gives us mise en scene of your life. <laughs> so but, yeah, but yeah, um, we just watched the Breakfast Club, and that was just uh, for those who don't know, Breakfast Club was just set in the one school, just school, a library, nothing almost, else, yeah. just in library. Well, no, there was the time in the hallway and the um, yeah. I mean, it was in yeah. a school outside school, but mostly a library. Yeah. Oh, you know, there's lots of locations. This movie's set place in. It's set place at night, at day, in the afternoon. I mean, right. that's just time. Brian, those aren't where's. There were whens. <laughs> no, but it was where in the day. Oh, I see. Where in the day, aka when. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we're talking about the royal where. Hold on. Where is the time right now? 
Three o'clock. <laughs> Don't. They might be listening to this at two o'clock and you've thrown off their time. They're going to stop listening to the podcast being like, holy fuck a duck. It's three o'clock. I'm due for a baby right now. And then just like turn off the podcast. Don't get to hear our thoughts on the fact that someone thought this would be a brilliant idea to have Seth Rogen in an adult nappy. All right. All right, guys. Now let's let's talk about what we thought about this scene. He passed out. I thought it was shit. <laughs> he passed out. He was clearly gone for a while. How long did you think he was out for? How long did you think? I thought like oh oh. And I thought like two hours tops. Oh yeah, he put him in nappies at a, yeah. at a at a drip in his arm for two hours. I thought like oh okay, is he been gone out for like like they initially set up like a couple of days? Okay, and then it's like oh maybe maybe a week. No, what was it? 11 days. 11 days. I was thinking th- about three. And he wouldn't he have, like, muscle paralysis by now, probably? I, like, well, uh, yeah, I think I would. Yeah. I would rather actually watch The Green Hornet, The 11 Days. Like, the movie where it's just set between those 11 days. Like, what did Kato do? Like, what what was Seth Rogen up to in his dreamscape? Also, like a, like a mid-quill. I would call it, like, a, an offshoot movie, yeah. I reckon, actually, that would be a good idea if we were exploring maybe what Chudnovsky was doing waiting for the Green Hornet to strike again. And he was like, oh, he's got mono. Oh, okay. <laughs> and just, like, sits down and goes, yeah. mm-hmm. And what was Cameron Diaz up to? These are, you know, what... Uh, what do we... Let's, get, let's just cut straight to the point, gents. We're gentlemen. We have watched movies... You know, Jono didn't, you know, because of the VC, it was a nightmare, and he's just vowed to never watch them again I, until this day. We were actually the brave souls to say to Jono, hey, Jono, it's going to be your birthday. You're 24th. You want to come and watch Green Hornet? And he said yes, because we are, Bartek pushes stuff on him, and I'm just charismatic, as you can tell. And, and, and you know, it's time for us to get to the point. What do you think was the resulting effect or causes or... or circumstances that made this movie not an appreciated masterpiece where do you think this movie faltered or what stopped it but i almost want to say maybe the sense of humor didn't resonate with people because not that it was super similar but year one was another movie where people didn't think that the humor quite impacted people and i talked in that episode about how Sorry. Um, there was like a modern day sort of sense of humour going in that movie which tried to have like this period piece-ish thing going for it. And this one, certainly the characters are a lot more realistic because this one isn't as... I was going to say not as slapsticky, but that's not quite true given how... Yeah. We're about to see a scene where Kato punches through a cabinet. So. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's just that whole idea of, like you said, you've already talked about... There were other actual comic book related movies coming out. Maybe this one didn't look like it was the greatest Seth Rogen film because I think we've also talked about this in year one. Certain actors have a certain group of friends. Like when you say Seth Rogen, who are some associated people you could think of? You can Steve think Carell, of Steve Carell, James Franco. Steve Carell, James Franco. Danny McBride. Danny McBride. Michael Sarah, all of them. Yeah, you can kind of summarize it by looking at the people who are in, like, This is the End. Mm. Um, and in this movie, who is there? There's James Franco in a cameo. Jay Chow. He gets the Asian market. Some, some Asian guy that people probably haven't heard of. The so Asian it was like, market, yeah. Yeah, Asian, well, yeah, the singer, but 
I think even in the trivia it said that this film crew didn't realise that he was a singer until like the last moment, so that probably wasn't behind the, an idea behind the marketing. So we've got Seth Rogen, you might know that James Franco has a cameo, but where are all his other comedic pals? Isn't this meant to be a comedy? Why aren't they there? Yeah, that's a problem. Is it a comedy? <laughs> well, like we've talked about already, there are a lot of... Fun- like, this is a... S- not superhero, but comic book movie that also focuses on the fact that there is meant to be comedy in there. So, what are you trying to say? Just to clarify, do you think the movie faulted because people's expectations of what I will call, just for this moment, the Rogan frat? Yeah, actually, that's a good term for it. Because if it's a comedy, obviously they'd want it to be funny, and if they want it to be funny, they'd probably expect there to be funny people. But they got Cameron Diaz. True. She's a big pull. If anything, she's the biggest star in this movie. Other than no, she is the biggest star in this movie in terms of careers. Cameron Diaz is the one that pulls people. Is like she's the bankable star. Christoph yeah. Waltz is an Academy Award winner, but he's still very new to the audience's eyes. Seth Rogen is Seth Rogen. Cameron Diaz is the staple of this being a legitimate movie. But going back to that whole association thing, when I say Seth Rogen, is Cameron Diaz close to? No, this is their first work together, I think. Yeah, so maybe that's, like, two different types of comedians getting together and hmm. people might have thought that was, you know, oh, would this work, would this not work? No, okay, so you think, lack of the, the, the Rogan I, frat. Oh, well, yeah, well, to, to put it right there, it's the audience's fault. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the audience. Yeah. They just didn't get it. So here's something, just before we segue into you answering, John and myself, fun fact... Seth Rogen wrote the script in 2007, and in the original draft, they actually wanted a backstory for Cato, in which he was like a penniless guy, and and he was uh, a big fan. And they just wrote like, uh, Cato's a really big fan of like when he was growing, you know, blah blah of of Asian pop music, and his idol happens to be Jay Chow because they just like Google searched oh who's a, who's a Japanese like who's, who's an Asian uh, singer that's popular oh Jay Chow oh, okay and then they cast Jay Chow and they're like oh look let's change it he can't be a fan of himself that's too on the nose so what about you Jono you hadn't seen this before I mean Bartek yeah. speaking from experience of seeing it in cinema you're seeing this years later where this has not made an impact with Bartek seeing originally it made an impact on him at the time, and he's seeing it again in, you know, the awareness. But what about you? What do you think is the thing that made this movie not appreciated? Um, I'd say that because the Green Hornet isn't very well known in terms of, um, you know, in terms of, like, say, Batman or Superman, where they're very well... They've got a fan base. They've got yeah, audience. Green niche. Hornet isn't very very well known, even though it's been around for years. Mm. So I'd say that plays a part into it but it's also because um you know it's a seth rogan film people have it he's done a certain he's got a certain comedic style yeah he's and got a certain a... movie style as well and he's likes to keep a certain set and there's still in some of that in that film yeah in this film there's still some of it in that film um but like this moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> but generally speaking um i i just think that people had like they, they just had the wrong expectations for this film mm. fair enough all expectations you know it's very true, but yet again, you know, you could make the argument, you know, I can I can hear my my listeners already going, oh, but Jono, 
you know, what about Iron Man? Nobody knew Iron Man in that movie fucking nailed it and that was also when Robert Downey Jr. was box office poison and it's by John Favreau well, yeah, yeah but that one you have to credit to the Shaggy Dog being an amazing movie yeah because yeah. it revived so, Robert Downey Jr. yeah John was just talking about how this property might be a bit too niche for audiences but I did read also that people who were that niche audience fans of the Green Hornet loved th- it some of them did, but some of them thought that p- making it too comedic was not a good move. Oh, or well. didn't like Seth comedy Rogen's is type of comedy. subjective. Yeah. No, the real answer is the obvious answer, guys. It was the Hollywood Mafia led by Nicolas Cage, who is you know look. Yeah, of course. Jonah, Cage, yeah. Have you do you know about Nicolas Cage's attachment to this movie? No, I don't. Okay, so okay, brace okay, yourself. so. <laughs> Nicolas Cage is one of those actors. We all know Nicolas Cage. Don't need to explain him. He's not a man, but an entity itself. And Nicolas Cage is an actor that you feel his presence or lack thereof in everything. You know, you watch a movie with Nicolas Cage, you know he's in it. And when you watch a movie where he was supposed to be in it, you could feel his presence still there. He was originally going to be the villain. Nicolas Cage was going to originally be... um, Chudnovsky. Chudnovsky. Now, remember that. Nicholas Cage was going to be Chudnovsky. Oh, that'd be so Wait, wait, wait. Here's the best part. Chudnovsky. He had to drop out, unfortunately. But he was in the... He was in the movie. He was going to be in it. Nothing filmed. But he was going to play Chudnovsky with a Jamaican accent. Much to the director and everyone else's dismay. Oh, my God. He just decided, I'm going to do this with a Jamaican accent. Seth Rogen, in the commentary for this movie, described the experience of meeting Nicolas Cage as surreal and disturbing. <laughs> and the fact that he was all like, his, his performance was going to be, Ore, ore, Green Hornet, ore. And just this weird... Oh my God. And that he wanted a Jamaican gang. And wanted to be in charge of the Jamaican gang, even though that wasn't in the script. And he's like, I won't do it unless I'm going to be Jamaican. And he, he dropped out for another reason. But they described it as a real experience when he performed the script to them as this Jamaican Chudnovsky. And then silence fell as he expected them to be in awe and applaud his performance <laughs> when they were just, in fact, afraid that this is going to be a big failure. And you know what? I think it's the lack of Nicolas Cage. I make a joke saying Hollywood Mafia, Nicolas Cage took down the movie, blah, blah, blah. Illuminati. No, I think it is the lack of Nicolas Cage. You see, Christoph Waltz is great. He's fantastic. He's the saving grace of the movie because he's the best written character for comedy. And, and this menace. scene right here yeah. adds depth to his character because his henchman died and he's... Genuinely sad. There's going to be a funeral with candles and everything. And Kim later. <laughs> uh, so, you know... The, the, the lack of uh, a star like Nicolas Cage that puts this kind of humour into perspective. I think that's the problem, is the mix, the tone of... They just kill people, but then they're cracking jokes and like that. That's what Deadpool nailed. And Deadpool nailed it because you had Ryan Reynolds. He's perfect. And Seth Green... I mean, Seth Rogen's perfect and, and Jay Chow. But the villain and Christoph Waltz is perfect. But you need an actor like Nicolas Cage. Hence, when Nicolas Cage turned up in Kick-Ass, it, it put the whole entire movie in perspective. It makes you go, yes, 
now that's I didn't know I needed that. That's what you need in this movie. You need a Nicolas Cage. You need a Christopher Walken. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe this is the turning point of us saying that about Christoph Waltz. You know, where we say, oh, Nicolas Cage and Christopher Walken. Maybe this role is the beginning of us saying, huh? Christoph Waltz. Oh, the beginning of us saying, maybe this needed a Christoph Waltz. Yeah, because now Christoph Waltz is one of those zany kind of character actors because of this movie where he's genuinely like, why aren't they intimidating? Oh, he's, so, he's so sad. Yeah, like in the, in the very beginning when he had that double barrel gun to James Franco's head, he looked genuinely upset. And then when James Franco said that he can't think with the gun here with you know against his head, he genuinely like put it oh, away no, like oh, apologizing. I'm sorry. So, I think that's a part of it. Nicolas Cage is really going to be in this. Um then Christoph Waltz was in it and um according to Seth Rogen and everyone involved, Christoph Waltz did not enjoy his experience. Really? He just came off being an Oscar-winning actor. To a movie that, and I think this is, you know, genre. Prepare yourself. You're gonna be shitting your pants in a second. Uh, Bartek, he's already shit his pants, so he doesn't need to prepare. Cause this is shocking. The movie was poorly managed behind the scenes. The script was forever changing, and even Seth Rogen described this experience as a nightmare. And Christoph Waltz is very. As with his vocal style, his acting style, uh, he's professional, very meticulous. Everything's precise. They describe him as an actor who likes to have a plan. And they are creators that kind of, as you tell with Pineapple Express and all these kind of movies, they just kind of wing it. They kind of improvise. They kind of just play around. And that's not what Christoph Waltz is about. Apparently, there was a point at which the Christoph Waltz just decided not to listen to the director anymore. <laughs> And just do what he wanted. And it shows in terms of Christoph Waltz knows exactly how to do this. The director of this movie has directed many other films. Uh, The other big one is Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind with Jim Carrey. He is French. And in the commentary, he does not speak English very well. And they pick on him quite a lot for it. And there's many points, Bartek, where they're actually arguing about whose idea it was for this. And trust me, if you need to listen to a commentary, the commentary for this movie is an exceptional one because really we could sit here and speculate what went wrong, but they do it for us. They were there. They actually talk about they worked on the script for five years. Wow, yeah. And when it actually push came to shove, it, it turned out differently. Maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. You know, they had... the. Director walked off set several times. Seth Rogen cried. It's, uh, I would watch a documentary about the behind the scenes of Green Hornet. And it would be called, like, Bloodnovsky's Revenge. <laughs> Where it's like, he's the real villain of the piece. For realsies. So, apparently Seth Rogen did a lot of his own stunts, too. Oh, cool. So, that's, that's neat. So, Bartek... Full stop on that point. Did you have a favourite character, guys? Did I have a favourite character? Jeez Louise, did I have a favourite character? I, I think I would have to give it to Chudnovsky. Chudnovsky is a good, good, good solid one. Well, it feels like a... Yeah. Feels like Chudnovsky is pretty funny. Well, what, what, what makes Chudnovsky the villain, you know, played by Christoph Waltz perfectly? Like, What makes him your favourite? Like, what is it about him? Well, I mentioned earlier that Seth... 
I almost said Seth Green, Jesus. Seth Seth Green Hornet. Um, <laughs> so you do it! S- Seth Rogen had that point in the movie where he... I, I've talked about it already, where he played with the tropes of, oh, the hero's weakness is the fact that they have loved ones, so let's pretend that we're villains so that we have that defence. The whole idea of playing with the villain, it, with Christoph Waltz playing the villain, you... When you describe villains, sometimes you would think insecurity would be a factor there. Most of the times it's that they're sadistic or crazy, and insecurity would just feed that. Whereas here, the insecurity kind of gives him more characterization. Like, he wants to have a certain appearance, and the first, and that first, the only appearance of James Franco in this movie makes this whole point of how it almost, it's almost a speech that says all of the flaws that he knows about himself, and it's the first scene he appears in. Mm. So it kind of sets you up for this whole, this villain's going to be different. He's going to do villainous things, and you're going to know he's a villain, but you're going to be sympathising with him a little bit. Yeah. Is that is that right, Jono? Do you sympathise with him? Uh, generally, yes. But <laughs> oh, it, I don't know. It's just... No, because the, re- the reason I liked him was just, like, his demeanour or character was so... Um, Managed? Uh, well, not managed, but it was just, you know, it was just one minute. He's just, you know, angry and he's just, um, he's just, like, evil. And then all of a sudden, like, he's just so sincere over the most ridiculous things. Like, whether mm. or not, or whether or not, whether or not someone's, I'm like, I can't, I can't think with a gun in my head, like you said before. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, I'll just put it down. And he's just so calming and caring. So, right, could you interpret that as kind of, like, discovering Christoph Waltz? Yeah, you've discovered... Chris- Christoph Waltz does that. Like, Christoph Waltz, you have to re... You know what? Let's just watch a Glorious Bastards. Guys, turn it off. No, no, no. What's he... <laughs> he doesn't do Glorious Bastards. In Glorious Bastards, he's a guy called the Jew Hunter, and you kind of gravitate towards him because he likes cream. You know, like, that's something that actually genuinely happens. You're like, oh, I kind of like this guy. He likes cream. And he says, that's a bingo. <laughs> Instead of bingo, <laughs> like that's how you say it, right? That's a bingo. It's like no, it's just bingo. There's, Ooh. A, there's a part where he like makes a racist joke, like comparing <laughs> black people to gorillas. Mm. But then he ends the sentence with something funny. So you're like, ah, oh, that was charming. Ah, because I bought you charming bastard. Ah, look, he's a good character. Chudnovsky, for me, when I first watched it, I genuinely thought he was the backbone of this movie. I will confess, I feel like saying is the best character is kind of like a... A, a, give, a given. A given. I, I, can't, I can't remember the word. I was using it just yesterday, but... Why I bring it up now is one of my favourite characters was actually in this sequence here, which is really done beautifully, Like by the way. It's like a Breaking Bad oh, montage. Yeah. There's this Asian hit woman on the far right here. Mm-hmm. She's just great. She's just like, yeah, go kill him. Yeah. And she's just like, yeah. saying it like so nonchalant out loud in public. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, this is this scene, admittedly, for how beautiful it is, it's actually a given that you need to watch it multiple times just to see everything. Yeah, like, you know, like... Because this is my third time watching the movie and I certainly do not know everything that happens here. Yeah, well, people start dying pretty quickly. No, I, I think my favourite character is actually D.A. Scanlon. Yeah. Uh, he's great. Yeah, he would I be mean, a character you'd like. I love him. when Seth Rogen's trying to pick... Like picture it all, and then he just cuts back. It's like, I'm telling by that goofy expression that you've had on your face for the last five minutes that you're figuring all this out. That was a great. <laughs> I love the fact that he just sat there silently for five minutes, looking at him, being like, uh huh. John, it's like when you play a video game and like someone has a flashback, and you know you like 
are invested in that flashback and all that, but then when it cuts back, it's like, how much time really passed while all those thoughts were coming in the head? Yeah, pretty much. Like, we were talking about Ace Attorney before. That's a game where that happens all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, my jeez. You know, if this movie was Ace Attorney, who knows where we would be today? If Seth Rogen comes into Ace Attorney as Green Hornet and and Christoph Waltz is, like, the uh, uh, prosecuting lawyer and is doing, like, the pointing of the finger. If this movie... If all movies were done the same way as Ace Attorney the video game is, where it's just, like, pointing and just mouths move and then... And, like, really good comebacks hurts people, apparently. (laughs) Oh, they make you turn, like D.A. Scanlon. Oh. So, seven people wearing green are killed and that automatically look it just says Kato it automatically just says that look I'll be honest if seven people in in our city of Melbourne were killed and they all happened to wear green I don't think they would say don't wear green well certainly it's, in it's like the, we're gonna the, we're gonna panic on the streets in this day and people age people who are wearing green are getting killed in this day and age that we call like victim blaming I guess <laughs> Slut shaming, really. You can't tell us what to wear. You can't tell me what to wear. I'm going to wear my green G-string and no man's going to... Oh, no! And then you hear Chudnovsky's Bloodnovsky speech. (laughs) Which Uh, is awesome, by the way. (laughs) You know what's the best part? You think Chudnovsky... He's the best part. Chudnovsky's working towards evolving into Bloodnovsky and his second-hand man, Popeye... Actually says that's stupid. It's not gonna work. You know, whatever. It actually works. Like he turns into Bloodnovsky, and everybody thinks it's cool now, and he's genuinely threatening. And the best part is, you think, oh, it's gonna turn it. <laughs> you think he's gonna turn into Bloodnovsky, and he's gonna be like lamer or stupider. It's actually like genuinely terrifying. Like- but then, it's the typical thing. He gets the villain conventions happen where he does his yeah. monologuing, and then he gets shot in the face, and he doesn't even get to say his full speech. So, I guess his arc is that he was this infallible villain, and then by becoming more typical, that was his downfall. What happened is, you could correct me if I'm wrong, he was a real-life gangster, and then he became Hollywood nonsense and got killed. What do you think of that, Jono? What do you think of that, Jono? Uh, yeah, just just give us any... a non-verbal answer. I don't have something anything to disagree with on that. Jonna, do you work in a newspaper? No, I don't. Do you own a newspaper? No, I don't. No, no, if you owned a newspaper and found out that your 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 father was did your dad own a newspaper? No. Nah. If you found out that your dad <laughs> owned a newspaper and he was taking bribes and then you found out he didn't really want to take bribes, would you would you still think he was a shit dad because, you know, in the end your dad in this universe is really terrible? Like Seth Rogen's dad. If you found out, oh, but he didn't want to take bribes, does that change your view on him being a fa- as your father? Well, mine, because he's still. If you if you're a shit dad, um, you're still a shit dad, whether or not you took bribes or not. This is this is maybe one of the things that brings this movie down is that conflicting message of like, and it's not just this movie; it's a lot of movies where you have a lot of shit parents and shit people. And somehow they redeemed because, oh, they were a stand-up guy outside of this. Outside of this, Hitler was a stand-up guy. Yeah. He liked animals. The Holocaust... He painted. He painted. 
He was a stand-up guy. I'm pretty sure, like, he was Times Man of the Year. I'm pretty sure that the Olympics before World War Two started, he like introduced the games or something. Yeah, and he he let a black person be in there, which was surprising. Come in, black. Wow. That was what Hitler said. No. He wouldn't have said anything to him. He would have. He would have been like too afraid. Oh, I can just. Your anti Aryan. He would get dirty by acknowledging him. Yes. So the best part is the guy's name is Popeye because he's got one eye. But according to the script writers, Seth Rogen, he was always called Popeye, and his name was just never said until his eye was gone. And they and people started laughing, thinking it was like this really funny joke. Because also Christoph Waltz says, Popeye. <laughs> in a cute, like, innocent way, like, Popeye. It's like, yeah, they forgot to establish it, and they, they're like, that wasn't, a, that wasn't on purpose. It wasn't a joke on purpose. We just thought it'd be really cool to have two henchmen called Chili and Popeye. So this whole, t- like, let's say for example, we didn't, we forgot to introduce Jono's name, but we said he's here, and then all of a sudden we're like, Gay Boy, what do you think? And it's like, the, oh, his name's Gay Boy. That's fine. It's like, yeah, Is, and he's Did not gay or a boy. <laughs> <laughs> what, the, what? He's not gay. Or I heard a what boy. you said, but I couldn't. He's be- a man. What do you want about? He finished VCE. <laughs> he cost. He's twenty-four years old. I oh, think yeah. we established this. He finished VCE. What's your ATAR score? ATAR. I don't remember, and I don't want to. Jono, I like your defense towards yourself was not to say, "Hey, it was what." <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Jono. You're not a boy. That's You're a gay a man. An attar a gay is gay se- man. Disclaimer: attar is separate from VCE, so it's good that he didn't answer. Right? Attar, Who cares? Atar. It's a made-up word. It's attar because I'm putting tar on the road over the piece of paper that tells me my number. Pretty much. Oh, so, so this is the I'm possibly a rapist scene. We haven't even talked about the fact that he thinks he's that they're in love. Yeah. We haven't talked about Cameron Diaz a lot. So, Project, do oh, talk about some Cameron Diaz I, and her I, fact that she can beat the shit out of the Green Hornet. Well, I mean, I've seen Shrek. I know that she's strong. I've seen, I've seen Shrek too. She's even stronger than that. Exactly. I've mentioned this stronger. on the show before, but one of my favorite things about Cameron Diaz is she's in the special features for Shrek 2, and they've got her head in like a little bubble on the right-hand corner, and it's like showing that scene where... <laughs> Show that scene where the gingerbread man, like the huge gingerbread man, is storming the castle, and she's just like, she's genuine. She's like holding her face over in her hand, just going, you know, when I first saw Shrek two, the special effects, like it was so scary how realistic they are. <laughs> Shrek two, and it's like showing the giant gingerbread man. She's like, oh, it's so scary how realistic they are. That's the thing about Cameron D. What a great resume, my dad. His name is just Kato, by the way. And his Hotmail is Kato Drives at Hotmail. <laughs> my favourite thing is later on when he starts messaging uh, um, Blodnowski. It's message to... It's not like the Green Hornet. I think if you actually look at it, it's like the little green wasp or something. <laughs> Because he's his sidekick. He has to differentiate him. Fun fact, that's that's actually the mayor of New York's office. Or no, mayor of San Francisco's office. G-H. They used for that. G-H. G-H so, at Green Hornet. 
the Green Hornet. Uh, I swear there's something later. The, I the, the, the subject is Green Mosquito. Oh, there you go. Green Mosquito. mosquito. Sorry, I got uh, it Blodnowski came up with that on his own. No, I, I think that was Popeye's last words. Green oh. Mosquito. And, and he's, he's like, like oh. I shall avenge you <laughs> from myself. Because he's the kind of villain he who would, would do, do that. that. He would do that. <laughs> I like we all agreed on that. He would do. I watched a, a movie about Blodnowski being the hero, and he's just like, it's his movie. And Christoph Waltz is in it yelling at the director, <laughs> refusing to take any orders. And it's directed by Ang Lee, and it's done like the Hulk. And <laughs> I would watch the fuck out of that movie. So. At this point in the movie, Bartek, you know, did you have flashbacks to your first time seeing it at the cinema? What was your experience at the cinema? Was it packed? Did people laugh? Did people cry? Do you remember a few episodes ago when we did Gulliver's Travels, I told you that when I thought back to this mo- that movie, I thought of the, the, the palace? Yeah. And, like, that always stuck in my head. For some reason, with this movie, whenever I'd think back, the thing that I would think of is two things. First of all... In the scene where Kato is mentioning that he's from Japan and uh, Seth Rogen responds... He's from Shanghai. He's from Shanghai and yeah, Seth Rogen... Fucking Rogan. racist! I love Shanghai. Yeah. I love Shanghai noon. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Shanghai nights. <laughs> the line where Seth Rogen just goes, I love Japan. I always remembered that line because I found it funny at the time. Do you find it funny now? Of course I do. Um, <laughs> no, doubt. no doubt. Don't doubt me, bitch. Um, so... And the other thing I remember, a more visual thing, is Bloodnovsky in a... In the darkness. With a gas mask? I don't think necessarily with a gas mask. And I, n- I didn't remember who the actor was, but... <gasps> but I think... I think Jono's that... yawning in fear of that line of dialogue that you just stated that you didn't remember who he was. Jono's a big fan of Christoph Waltz. I think it might have been a shot of when they're inside the... Why did you change I, I coat? Know, I don't know why. Just, well, it's this, like the I, same coat. Yeah? I actually just laughed. No, one no it's not the same coat. It's, it's just a bit... It's no, French coat. The first one, the I first... just laughed at that for some yeah. reason. The first one was more like a suit. Hysteria Hysteria setting. The first one was a suit jacket. This one's more like a coat. Um, yeah, it might have been a scene of the destroyed upper floors of the newspaper building. So yeah, a shot from there was something I always remembered. The thing I always remembered, the thing I remembered was just double-barreled gun because I thought that was fucking wicked. I forgot about that, so I got like a nice surprise of like, oh yeah. Can I tell you some of the weird creative choices and differences they had behind the set? Please so, tell me some interesting creative choices and weird differences they had. So behind originally, the set. they make fun of in the scene with James Franco. Jay, uh, Christoph Waltz just pulls a gun out of nowhere. Like it was obviously not because he was wearing a really light coat. You would have seen it. Apparently they made a holster for it, but it just looked like a suitcase attached to <laughs> a fucking belt. It would. It and would. then and then the best part was the original plan was Christoph Waltz would have a briefcase and it would have like a a kind of um a, a, a three-dimensional map of Los Angeles on it. So it would have... He opens up the suitcase and there would be like, a, you know, kind of like Lego pieces, like map of, of, New, of the Los Angeles and he would be ripping out parts of it going I own this and I own that and he's actually constructing his double barrel gun while he's talking and then just shoots James Franco with it and that explains how he does that but one of my favourite things is because the director is usually coming up with these like crazy ideas like in his brain he was like the ending of it shouldn't have been the car changes to white but he wanted the car to like 
look like a submarine and have a cockpit. Oh, he has all okay. these crazy ideas about like, you know, for me, it makes perfect sense for why they would blah, 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 right? Uh, but this is the one that actually makes sense. When you listen to the commentary going, oh, okay, this guy's foreign. He's got some weird concepts. Like, you know, he's an arty director as well. In this, there is one moment where he goes, I thought, and he goes, I, and he's still bitter about it. He goes, I still believe that Kato should have turned up at the restaurant dressed as the Green Hornet. It makes more sense. And they're like, no, 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 no. Because, and their reason is for the aesthetic value of, so then later on in the fight sequences, they can be Kato and the Green Hornet, you know, aesthetically. Like, they both look like that. All right, thinking ahead. Yeah, thinking ahead. But, like, this is the speech, by the way. He's giving a speech about, like, dressing in women's clothes. But, like... This is a weird David Lynch sequence, but I had. Yeah. Uh, he gives this whole thing about, like, it makes more sense. And Seth Rogen's like, no, you're wrong on that one. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, he's completely right. It makes more sense that he rocks up as the Green Hornet. That's what they want. They want the Green Hornet. They don't want fucking Driver Man. And they don't believe him anyway. They look in the car and they see Green Hornet isn't in there. Mm. And everything goes to shit. Just saying that this dream sequence is weird. <laughs> Yeah, I was really confused with this one, like, because I guess I forgot what Scanlon's voice sounded like, so I'm like, is he talking to his dad or something? No, it's his dad. It's his dad. He's actually talking to his dad? Yeah, it's his dad's voice. So... Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And Scanlon's just sitting there silently, just like, okay. Yeah, this is apparently five minutes long. It's five minutes of pure joy. And look, we learn that Scanlon is so willing to defend his honour and his life that he will kill a man with a bee sting. Now, Jonathan, are you allergic to bees? No. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you Jonathan. Jonna, are you allergic to bees? No. What about hornets? No. What about wasps? I got stung by a wasp. How was that? Um, uh, painful. Did it sting you once or twice or three times once. a lady? In the finger. Which finger? Uh, this finger here. Oh, thanks for the visual representation <laughs> for the listening audience. He stuck up the middle finger. That's that's yeah, the, the finger. on the right hand. On the right hand. That's the hand that you hold your heart with. Isn't it about to... Sorry, I got a flashback of the last time I held a heart. We'll, we'll sit here and wait for five minutes. Five minutes, and we're like, <laughs> oh, so you're just piecing it together, are you, Patrick? <laughs> it was when you hold Scanlan's heart after he got brutally murdered by Kato. <laughs> He's looking at his watch. So, so Jono, would you want to see a sequel to this? Actually, yes, I would. Don't don't sound too keen. <laughs> uh, what would the sequel be to you? What would happen in Jono's sequel? Oh, Jesus. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> Come on, pitch an idea. I'm a Hollywood executive, right? We're the Warner Brothers. Really? He's the, si- <laughs> the silent one, and I'm the one that talks. Right, Jono. What's his last name again? Tropiano. Oh, you talked. <laughs> oh, it was only a 45-second sequence. Uh, Tropiano. Jono. Jono Tropiano. Yeah. We're the Warner Brothers. We are going to... I don't even know if the Warner Brothers did Green Hornet, but... We're going to make Green Hornet 2 with... I don't know why he's like... We're going to make Green Hornet 2 with Seth Rogen and Jay Chow back in the saddle of the Black Beauty. Audience will eat it. They'll eat it up. Obviously, we've got to follow on from where the first one left off. Yeah. What do you... Who would you cast in the movie as the villain? Yeah. Who would be a great villain for you? Who'd be a great villain? Oh, yeah. I... Someone 
funny but menacing, charismatic, someone the audience won't expect. Oh, God. Um... God? He's a villain of life already. We can't really have God in there. Maybe his son, Jesus. Two on the nose. Two on the nose. Jesus. Mary and Joseph Stalin. All of them are in there. So, <laughs> so who would you have as a villain? Um, I would say probably... I'd probably say Tom Hardy as like some... Tom Hardy Tom Hard- as a villain... That is so 2012. We're moving on from him now, mate. You know who we? You know what you meant to say, Jono? Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. How good would it be if Adam Sandler was in this movie and his voice was? No, me, it's me, it's Adam Sandler. <laughs> in that voice, oh, in the voice, and his insecurity is, yeah. and his insecurity is about his high-pitched voice. Okay, so you get him right, but. Unfortunately, Cameron can't be in the movie. She's retired from acting after her stellar work on The Other Woman. She's decided to take a hiatus for the next ten years. Who would be the new woman? Who's the new love interest? Betty White. Betty White. Betty White. Is she a love interest or is she just like the brains of the operation? How about both? You can't have one without the (laughs) other. I like the way this guy thinks. We find out that Betty White, though is dying like Alfred in Batman and Robin. Because if there's any a movie to base our movie off of, it's Batman and Robin. So, right, right. Who's the director of this masterpiece? Who's someone that you really like and think would be a great choice for directing this? We can't get old Gondry back on this one. Oh, jeez. Um, uh, I forgot. I just forgot his name. What's um, he directed, son? I know movies. I make them. Yeah. Last we, Airbender. We, we, M. Oh, Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. I would love it. So the twist is Betty White is M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yes. Right. Twist? So we've got the M. Night Shyamalan. What do you think, other Warner? You want to watch the Adam Sandler, Green Hornet, villain-fueled, Betty White love interest brains, M. Night Shyamalan twist? I think I just ejaculated from what you just said. He just ejaculated. We're going to give you 50, 60 gajillion dollary dues. Off you go and make a movie, son. That's about a million American. That's oh, yeah. By a million, I mean 110 million. So, I would watch the fuck out of that movie. <laughs> I would really love it if the sequel was Adam Sandler's The Villain and he does have that, he has this voice going on. You know that Adam Sandler voice that he does? And he's actually really insecure about it. Like, he tries to do it deep, though. Like, he's got this voice going on and he tries to do it a bit deeper. And he just can't do it. And, and his whole motif is that he's a sailor. <laughs> like, he's got, like, the little Popeye hat on. Yeah. Like, he doesn't have anything else. He has, like... You know how Adam Sandler just rocks around in shorts and a shirt? He has yeah. that. He has that. <laughs> a, glass, a glass of brandy in his head. But he has, like, a little Popeye sailor hat on. And he's just like... They call me the Popeye sailor man. <laughs> Adam Sandler's not even playing a character. It's Adam Sandler. And Seth Rogen will be like, You menace! You've destroyed the comedy landscape for generations to come! And he's like, You are you won't catch me alive! And he like kills himself in the end. <laughs> but just like every Batman movie, yeah. like every no, every Batman comic, 
He's not dead. No. It'd be like, no, no, it would be exactly like in Batman 1989 with Jack Nicholson as the Joker. He'd be like, oh, jeez, I created you. You created me. Can't we all get along? And then he just, like, punches him off a clock tower. And he just falls to his death. And he's just, like, got that Adam Sandler smile and blood's coming out of his head. And you just hear, those happy days. And, like, a fist bump. <laughs> And Adam Sandler, you see his body's actually like that at the breakfast club. His body's like laying like a fist bump. And you just, and then you just get a disclaimer at the end of the credits. Adam Sandler was paid a commission of $40 million for his 20 minute appearance in The Green Hornet. And that's why he's like, dude! And the credits are just rolling over that. Oh, God. And at his funeral, they give him like McDonald's breakfast menu all day. I know you give me the McDonald's, but the movie, The Green Hornet, has to be set in like the tropics because you know Adam Sandler likes having a holiday. Oh yes, he needs to have a holiday. Adam Sandler's whole—that's why he's a sailor because he wants to have it on his yacht. He doesn't want to get off of his yacht, and he goes. They're like, but Sandler, it doesn't make sense. You're supposed to be a New York. You're supposed to be an LA crime boss. Well, well, just set it in the tropics and give me a little sailor hat and then I'm done. (laughs) I would believe that. It's a movie where he actually refuses to get out of his deck chair. Yeah, yeah. He'll be like, get out of the deck chair. Adam's like, you know who I am. I'm Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. And then you just see, like, they're, like, trying to get him out. It's like, you're a hack. And then you just hear knuckles cracking in the distance. And they, and they just turn around. And it's just it is just Kevin James. It's like, what did you say? What did you say? And they're like, what? And they, he grabs them by the back of the neck, neck and slams their head on the table. It's like, apologize to Adam. You call him sir! And after he dies, the kid from Big Daddy comes crying into the scene. Yeah, with Scuba then, Steve. And then uh, Dia piss on him. That's the second time I've talked about Scuba Steve this episode. It's all coming together. It's coming together. So, but in that movie, Betty White is Adam Sandler's mum <laughs> as well. Oh my <laughs> it's like oh she's like I raised my son wrong oh yeah you did mom <laughs> for that one he's just on a mobile phone to her but being Adam Stanley he has those old 80s phones as well like that's what I imagined basically wouldn't it be great if his yacht crashed into Vince Vaughn's yacht from uh, Starsky and Hutch <laughs> and somehow Will Ferrell was involved always can I just point out uh, in this scene right here there's a point where Christoph Waltz was running. He had a gun in front of him. He had the gas mask on and the stuff that just said, I am ungassable. He actually did say he's yeah, ungassable. He say, we could just take that as a screenshot, just post it and be like, he's, <laughs> I'm funny, ungassable. It's funny because he's German. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, fun Ooh. Polish fact, everyone. Jonna, Jonna, don't get too excited. I know you don't get to say much, but here's a fun Polish fact. One of the women was a friend of the director who was auditioning for Cameron Diaz's role. Mm-hmm. The director is French. This woman auditioned and Seth Rogen highly offended her and she stormed out of the audition because he simply said, the director simply said, oh, this is my friend. You know, uh, her English is very, very good considering that she is not native to America. And he's like, oh, where are you from? And she said that she was from Poland. And Seth Rogen upset her oh by God. saying oh yeah 
Poland, isn't it always, like, grey, miserable, and depressing over there? Isn't, like, Poland, like, one of the worst places in Europe? And she just turned around and went, Are you serious? Are you serious right now? And just walked out. Yeah, I know. Usually it's the UK that's cold and boring and stuff but, like yeah. that. In the winter, the skies look crap. Seth Rogen just goes... It always looks crap. Seth Rogen <laughs> just said, Hey, that place that you're from is depressing. Wow, Seth Rogen. He's a Who's t- a, who knew he was a racist? Who knew he was such a genius? What? To get, to get Cameron Diaz in even more, he offends the Polish people. <laughs> look, I get it. We're very easy to to attack, as the Germans find as out. As World War Two shows. And then Russia. We get it. We're an easy mark. But does that really mean you have to... You have to hurt one of our citizens? One of our... Patriots, if you will? Or what's that in Polish? No. He doesn't speak it anymore. <laughs> it's kind of... He's got, like, a, a temperamental Polish vernacular. Should, should I sing a Polish song just to... No, no, it's too late now. We've, we've lost the rhythm. I was just basically trying to say, you know, do you have to hurt us so Cameron Diaz can be in your movie? Because guess what? She'll do you a favour. She'll be in your movie. <laughs> She'll do you a favour. She's a nice woman. She's out there looking for someone right now because she's retired from acting. But this time she was in everything. She only was on the set for this movie for nine days. Fun fact. Well, until she found out that racist comment. And then she quit and she didn't promote this movie because she found out they were racist against the Polish people. That was a weird shot. And that's... And that's <laughs> wait, when... so wait. Split? No, it's just two. Oh, okay. Boom. It splits so it can do that. I was right. This is a very scary image. A German man in a gas mask in the fog. Brings back flashbacks for us. <laughs> what about you, Jono? Does it bring back flashbacks? No, because no. you're Italian. You were on the wrong side. You were on the Axis powers. Yep. You were on the Mussolini side. Yep. So Mussolini, great leader or the greatest leader of Italy? Who had the better moustache, Hitler or Mussolini? Mussolini, Mussolini has no contest. Good. Okay, cool. <laughs> Mussolini didn't have a moustache. What about Hideki Hojo? Uh, maybe Hideki Hojo. I don't know, I still think Mussolini. I still think Stalin at the end of the day. <laughs> He's not Axis. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. You Whoops. Should, you should Axis him a question. That's the what was the king of Egypt or whatever? He was... Pharaoh? No. Like, during the Second World War, because the Egyptians helped out the Nazis. Did they? Bastards. The fucking asshole bastards. That was my Italian. It was pretty good, yeah? Yeah. Didn't they... Was... Didn't they watch Frankenstein? Right That's a, Can you speak Italian? I can say swear words. <laughs> you don't know the title of this movie in Italian? No. Oh, then what you're good for? War. <laughs> absolutely nothing. Come on, even I know this movie's title in Polish. The Green Hornet 3D. Yeah, why didn't you have it in Polish title? Or did you I not look it up? No, I literally went to Wikipedia, went to this movie's page, clicked the Polish thing, you know, the language, and the title was just The Green Hornet 3D. And all of the links at the bottom for, like, citations were all about the Green Hornet 3D. Hey, here's something. None of us have seen this in 3D yet. Did you see it in 3D in the theatre? Because when they... I might have. Because they were shoving 3D down our throats, like, how these are going through his eyes. Yeah, and certainly in that yeah. f- in that first Kato vision... Eye-popping. 
In the first Kato Vision scene, remember when he kicked the guy <laughs> and he went over like a million cars? Yeah. I feel like that might have been something that was made for 3D. No, I think the bit where Scanlan's about to get driven out of a fucking skyscraper by a car, I think that was made for 3D. Mm, speaking I... of which, it's going to happen. Oh, he got shot in the shoulder, but luckily it's not on his heart, not on his heart side. But if they realise that the Green Hornet's gotten shot in the shoulder, and they find out that Britt Reed's gotten shot in his shoulder... Then clearly he's Bloodnovsky! <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right, Ryan. Thank you for finishing my sentence. <laughs> you, oh, here we go. Couldn't you cover that up really easy by being like, I was in the building when Bloodnovsky and his men were shooting like madmen! Couldn't he just say that he was practicing juggling guns? Yeah, couldn't he just say that he was eating a really iron-rich dinner? And it just clotted up so bad, it caused, like, a bullet mark? I like mark? how he's dead and immediately someone's biased. Yeah, <laughs> waiting. That's that's actually, you know, that's Snoop Dogg from Starsky and Hutch. That's Hoggy Bear. <laughs> it's the same universe. Wow. So, the ejector seats come in handy, Jono. Did you think they were going to come into the movie at all? With the record uh, player? And- honestly, I forgot about them like halfway through the film. You, you think the ejector seats? You know what would have been the best time to use the ejector seats? When the two concrete trucks lock them yeah. in. I was th- yeah. yeah. I think when they were pushed in the pit, I'm like, could they possibly use the ejector seats? Yeah. No, they just used right- missiles. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently the Mythbusters did a whole episode on this and debunked a lot of the things they did in this and no. Seth Rogen thanked them personally. But he asked them, hey, you know that bit where I'm hiding behind like a giant roll of paper and he's shooting the bullets? Would the, would the bullets go through that? They're like, no, wouldn't even go past an inch. Um, and so then, you know, that's how you make bulletproof vest. I guess. One other thing that was in the IMDb trivia was one of the last points was that in this movie, Kato can't swim. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's nice that they pointed that out in the trivia because, I mean, it's established in the movie. He, he can't swim. <laughs> what? Trivia on these things. <laughs> trivia? The movie's called The Green Hornet. Like the Polish title. Trivia, Seth Rogen. Like, not even anything else. Trivia, Seth Rogen. We've already made a joke like that already. Right? Trivia, boogers. Because everyone's got them. Yes. Jono, do you pick your boogers? No. What do you do when you get a clogged up nose, but it's not running? I my nose. Oh, but you can't get hard boogers. What happens if sometimes a hard, hard booger is hard to get out? What do you do? Do you, do you do you eventually pick it? Or do you wait for it to like fall? On do its you own? ask Cameron Diaz for a favour or something? I'd, I'd like to ask Cameron Diaz for a favour. She is so. very attractive in, in, in general, but in this movie. Because she, for some reason oh, they were like... Joke. Yeah, for some... Oh, not apples! Um, in this movie they thought, oh, it's going to be a brilliant idea to, you know... Just have her for the last scene kind of be like barely in clothes, I I guess, because that's what you do on your night out, is barely wear clothes. Yeah, flick the hair out of your face, Cameron. So here's a fun fact: the commentary for this was done in 2010. Bartek, this is so good. Seth Rogen yeah. was saying, "Oh, you know, we put Cameron Diaz in there because this movie was becoming too much of a sausage fest, too much of a sausage party." Yeah. They're like, "Yeah, there's too many guys." He's like, "Yeah, it was too much of a sausage party," and he just keeps saying "sausage party," and they're like, "Why do you keep saying that, Seth?" He's like, "Oh, I'm working on a script right now called Sausage Party. By the time that anyone actually listens to this commentary, that will be out in the cinemas." I listened to that commentary and it is out currently at the cinema's sausage party. I think Jono's seen it, right? Jono, is it as good as Green Hornet? Very. Is it not as good though? Uh, Very is not yes or no. 
it's as good as Green Hornet. Oh, great. I don't know if anything can be. I like this part. Where he's sweating profusely. Yeah. <laughs> I actually said, what's wrong with her? Because I actually thought they picked the bullet out. Like, when it was panning down and someone was giving a speech, I'm like, who's giving this speech? And I'm like, oh, it's him. And what's wrong with him? And then he gets... That like- guy's coughing. He, he's really upset. There's a whole subplot about why he's coughing, actually, that they removed, which and was he got, got shot in the face with the gas. And he's got his hand on his shoulder and, like patting it and he's just like in pain so I'm like oh okay the bullet's there my favourite part is forensics can really do a work on this by just going hey there's no blood anywhere when he got shot yeah and also the wound is clearly like eight hours old yes and another thing that Ace Attorney's taught us is that every bullet has like a signature on it so you'd be like able to tell when it was shot how far away it was and all that kind of stuff what what gun shot it um, but it's a movie, so you know, yeah, and it's you more think, about being cool. And, and you think a, a police-issued rifle would be different to a pistol, but I'm wrong. Because you know why? This is a part of the movie-going experience. This is, you see those nitpicks? That's what an audience member ruined about this movie. It's not about the nitpicks. It's about the general feeling of the film. You're saying nitpicks, you mean nip slips or...? Nip licks. It's about... Ew... Jonna, don't lick his nipples. You said you're not gay, boy. You're a man, Kay. You're a man, homo. <laughs> you can't, you, you, you're going in a good direction, Ryan, but somewhere near the end... You I just a... swallowed a cock and I just couldn't help. I'm like, no, help. I was like, you're a good... That was a good description of a cock. So... I really do like the ending of this movie. Well, this bit is basically like... It's like all those movies where it's just like... You know what we've done up to now? It's been completely useless. We're going to do something more important leading up to a sequel. It's like, that's all those movies. It's like, what we've done is barely important in the grand scheme of what we're about to do next. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to be a bit honest with you. For a second there, I was like, wait, what's going on? And then I remembered, oh, right, right, the head. I was confused for yeah, a second. Yeah, they, they, they... I forgot they, about... Uh, I forgot removed how they a head it. of a statue, not they gave head, just for those keeping in point. Gave head? Who? Where? I didn't. No, exactly. He did. He gave it back to his dad. Oh, right, right. He gave head to his dad. (laughs) What? No, I did not. (laughs) Oh, Jono, you're so innocent and naive. You look... The green album... Yep, Michael Gondry. I think it's Michelle? Mikkel? No, it's... But he's French. It's like Michelle. Okay. Mikkel Gondry. Mitchell. Mitchell Bennett. (laughs) So, the movie is over. Finally, so we can get to the real heart of what we do on the show, which is give our personal reviews, a kind of summary, and a rating of our, of our, our choice. Bartek, I'd like you to uh, go first. So, as the one of this group who saw the movie first and has probably the longest history with it, though admittedly I don't think it's as sentimental as yours, Ryan, I look... Before we decided to do this episode a couple of days ago, I was thinking back to this movie. Now, good time. I saw it with my stepbrother. We I've seen many movies with him. We've seen a lot of movies that would be unappreciated. AKA, I, I I'll be. I skipped over that in the credits. So it kind of made me laugh. Jay Chow as Kato as Kato. So I thought back to this movie, thinking I remember having a good time. I remember thinking. I remember that there were a lot of funny parts in it and I remembered walking out satisfied but again not knowing if this movie really impacted me or not 
And having watched it again, I've seen a lot of things in this movie that I can appreciate, that I admire, and that actually are things that I've been looking for in other films. Like the whole aspect of playing with tropes of villains and superhero movies, which I'm not too into. Like, Jono would know this about me. Uh, we have a group chat on Facebook with a bunch of our friends, and we sometimes arrange to see movies there. And usually when there's a superhero movie, I'm not... I'm not as active there talking about how I want to see it. and I'll, You mean you never go? <laughs> I usually never go to the superhero movies because I'm just not that interested in paying $20 for something like that. Twenty dollars. Twenty one. So sorry. You guys, where do you guys? Yeah. I try to promote the Point. cinema that like has eight dollar tickets, but no, no one ever wants to go there. Um, that's just a personal backstory. You're really getting into the reviewing style of giving your own personal backstory instead of talking about the actual product. <laughs> I was born on a rainy night. <laughs> yes, it rained the day I was born. Um, <laughs> in all of Poland, I was the thunder in that rain. Oh. Basically, <laughs> basically, this movie is a fantastic comedy film that John is laughing at an in joke. Um, if you played Metal Gear Solid Four, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Oh God, God! Look, this movie is great. It's funny, and it has a sidekick character. Which do superhero movies a lot these days have a sidekick character? Not really. No. Do you find that to be like an a lost art form, you reckon? Well, it happened in Batman and Robin, and Batman and Robin was shit. And that what was, do you mean? That was decades ago. Yeah. That was the, that was a pinnacle movie for toys. What I'm saying <laughs> is that this movie has a lot of things that I like, and there are a lot of superhero movies now that has things that I don't necessarily like, and that therefore this movie should be given a higher position in society, and that we can learn from it, and that you've learned from it subconsciously, now realise what you can what's the opposite, consciously learn from it and make your life better. If I have to give this movie a rating, and I have to, because You're that's how... You're at gunpoint. The... I'm at gunpoint. Gun Am I? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Fuck. That's what they call my um, penis. If I, if I have they to call give... it a gun. If I, if I have to give this movie a rating, I would have to give it a octrillion-barreled gun out of octrillion. Well, that was, that was emotional, Sean. I mean, I'm in tears. Tears! From my gun. Tears or tears? Because <laughs> they're spelt the same way. They're both the same. I'll give you my review. You know, Jono, you can be lucky last. You can be the one that everyone will remember. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said it was a threat. Um, that was a threat? I don't know. I looked him in the that eyes. Sounded, that sounded really. like really touching, not threatening. Okay, fine. I'll say it more touching. Jono, you're last. And you're going to be remembered for that, okay? The best comes last. Jesus. Oh, the, fight, the, the song at the credits of the first movie Solid, The Best Is Yet To Come. Talking about The Best Is Yet To Come, the sequel to this movie, why isn't there one? It all relates to the mastery of this film. The film was made with love and passion. This film had been gone through Hollywood for quite some time. Not this specific one, but the idea of doing this product. This product is a major staple for what it is. The original radio series, great. The TV show helped launch Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lee is one of those iconic figures of masculinity in film. And this movie it has Seth Rogen in it, doing something unusual, something different. He's broadening his scope, because when we see comedic stone actors like Franco and, and, and Rogen and all that, you know that deep down that they're really smart people who are really talented and 
have the ability to do something different. And I feel like, unfortunately, Seth Rogen got burnt with this project. He's gone back to what he does. He's very good at what he does. But this movie is a real experience and a real treat. If you want to see Seth Rogen spread his wings. If you want to see a great supporting cast with Christoph Waltz. If you want to see a great Asian character that isn't played for jokes for him being Asian. It is a great movie. This movie is actually getting me emotional because of what it means to me. As I mentioned at the start, this is a transitioning movie for me. This is a symbol of my life. And I feel like people just don't appreciate it because Marvel and because of the cinematic landscape and because of Seth Rogen and because of the lack of Nicolas Cage, this movie works. It is a tremendous effort upon their parts to balance all of these tones, to have uh, a good choice for a director, one who's usually an art direct, art house director. And it really is going balls to the wall with what it is. It is going full speed with it. I love this movie. I love everyone involved in this and I would proudly buy a ticket for the sequel to The Green Hornet. What would that be? We already said Adam Sandler's involved. Don't you want to see that? I know I do. If I have to give it a review, and Jonna, we you do have to. No, if I have to give it a rating, if I do have to give it another review, I would say it in my Adam Sandler voice. <laughs> but if I have to give it a rating, which of course we do, I would say that my rating is one that is simple, simple because the film is simple at heart, Bartek. I would give this a solid five five Kevin James punching an executive for questioning Sandler. Out of? <laughs> out of five. Oh. No, out of five concussions. Oh, I see. So, Johnny, you don't have to make yours as long and as emotional <laughs> as Ryan's one. But what if you don't? The Sandler will come get you! But feel free... How about short and sweet? Yeah, but feel free to... Everyone loves short and sweet. That's what all the boys tell you. Feel free to, in your review, add some final <laughs> observations that maybe you didn't bring up or any final thoughts, just just to conclude our whole discussion of the film. Well, no, all I'm going to really is just re- re- yeah, reiterate what mm-hmm. I basically said before. I actually was surprisingly shocked that this film was good. Um, I think it's actually better than Iron Man 1... No, Iron Man 2 and 3. Take that, Iron Man! Sit, guys. Um... <laughs> And basically, I actually kind of want to see the sequel as well, if there was one, with Adam Sandler. Oh, how good would it be? Yeah. I do too. <laughs> and probably with Nicolas Cage as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. If Look, any movie where Nicolas Cage can play a white Jamaican gangster, I'm up for yes, it. Yes, exactly. I kind of also want to listen to the audio commentary now that you've talked about it. It is good. More so than the Snow Day one. Um, But anyways, I would give this movie a, ra- uh, a rating of uh, what's a ridiculous one um three nicholas cage uh breakdowns out of an adam sandler film wow that's a lot because yeah, adam whoa. sandler films are pretty low yeah. <laughs> and nicholas cage is pretty high i mean you know not on drugs obviously but like on whatever juice he's taken good rating we did not think of that we did not think of that so this is the part where i read reviews from imdb i go through now sometimes we get reviews that come from other dimensions in which they feel like it's from a dimension in which the movies that we are talking about are the cinematic landscape makers but we don't live in that dimension 
this week we get some of that and and more i went this week more reviews that kind of sum up the history of the project what went wrong why isn't it what it should be and and capturing the elements i knew that we would talk about so the first one is is a lower star review rating which is six stars it's called campy corny but visually entertaining <clears throat> this was written in 2011 so you know it's very important to know sometimes when these are written because it, it's from some of them are very fresh and some of them are from a perspective of time so we'll dive straight in with campy corny but visually entertaining six stars I've been keeping my expectations low for this film, and I'm glad that I did. I was a big fan of the 60s television show, but I didn't want to but I didn't watch any episodes until the mid-90s, so I've been waiting almost 15 years for a film adaptation on the Green Hornet. Wait, hold on a second, hold on a second. He was He was a fan in the 60s or fan of, of the-, the 60s shows when he watched in the mid-90s. Oh, I see. The film is campy, the story is corny, the villain is wasted, and Seth Rogen wrote the script. Based on the plot and the dialogues, it's not a well-made movie, but it doesn't try to be. This movie could have been written more seriously and be more on the same map as Christopher Nolan's Batman films. But instead, it went on the road to be a comedic film with a lot of explosions Some stuff didn't work. Other stuff was clever and visually entertaining. The stuff that I admired the most are the homage to the original television show. There was some criticism to the 60s show about how the Kato character was just a sidekick, butler, manservant, and aide or chauffeur to the Green Hornet. Bruce Lee didn't have much dialogues and he didn't have much screen time. It was during the 60s and just having an Asian American to be an everyday character on a show was a big deal. So I never saw that as an insult. In this movie, they take a huge, they make a huge deal about that subject as Seth Rogen and Jay Chow are constantly arguing about Kato's role throughout the whole film. Other homage to the television show is a drawn image of Bruce Lee, Al Hurt's theme, Flight of the Bumblebee tune, and there's even a scenario from the favorite, from my favorite episode that has been written into the movie. The Black Beauty, the Black Beauty, also a very awesome car. The funny thing is that in the TV show, the Black Beauty was a brand new and very recent 1966 Imperial Crown sedan. In the movie, it's the exact same vehicle, but now it's a classic vintage car. I saw the 3D version, and there were very few sequences where the 3D effects was worth the extra price of admission. I recommend saving your money and watch the 2D version instead. To finally sum everything up, the movie isn't good, but it brought back my love for the characters inside the Green Hornet world. The film is visually entertaining for what it is. I hope there's a sequel, but that somebody else will write its screenplay. So that was a bit of a... What a blind fanboy. The next one is also a six-star review one. It's called The Hornet is Back. You ready for this, guys? Because he's back. Put on your seatbelts, gents. I watched The Green Hornet with a sense of skepticism. Having grown up with the original TV series, this movie really had some big shoes to fill out, and surprisingly enough, it managed to do do so in a good enough way. But there were also some aspects of the movie that were less than successful. First of all, Seth Rogen playing Britt Reid slash The Green Hornet. 
No, 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 no. I know he was involved in directing and writing the movie and all, but he is not chiseled out for an action role of this caliber. I do admire his spirit and enthusiasm, but he is more suited for comedy movies. Seeing him in this role didn't go well with me. He, he did bring along some comedy, but it didn't work so well in this practical movie. And the scene at the beginning where Britt Reid was bringing home a woman and they went through the garage and sat in all the cars, showing them off to the audience actually, in high speed capture. What was up with that? Already at that point, the movie started to falter and crash. That was in the first 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> Jade Chow playing Kato certainly had huge shoes to fill out after the original role was played by Bruce Lee and actually Chow did a decent enough job with good acting and well choreographed action slash fighting sequences. So hats on hats off for him for that. However, the most memorable person in the movie was Christoph Waltz, playing Chudnovsky. He was fantastic as a villain and worked his role very well and very convincingly. Plus there was also a good sense of humor to his role and it worked well. The story told in the movie was fast-paced, captivating, and interesting enough to keep you enthralled throughout the entire feature. For an action movie, then The Green Hornet is actually quite good, but for a follow-up to the legacy of the TV series, the movie is a mediocre attempt with good intentions, though. Had they cast someone else as Britt Reid, it would have worked much better. Now I'm not, now I'm not saying that Seth Rogen is a bad actor, he is just ill-suited for the role. The Green Hornet is good entertainment if you are in for an evening of action, corny one-liners, and a trip down memory lane. Excuse me, but did he use the like whole, now I'm not saying Seth Rogen's a bad actor thing twice? Yeah. And also, he's really denying that this is a comedy. Yeah. He like, really does not want to no, acknowledge No, there's some people who, who didn't like this movie, guys. I know. What? Hold your breath. This is a one-star review. No. <sighs> from the United States in 2011, so it was a dark time. Bloody Americans. Van Williams needs to open up a can of whoop-ass. That's the name of the review. Who? who? Van Williams. Okay. We'll find out. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, this is a bit of a long one, but it's it's worth it, as always. Okay. <clears throat> I'm getting sick of people who are angry with those of us who love the Green Hornet and want to defend the character from this piece of crap movie. Nobody knows him anyway, is what I hear a lot, but apparently enough of people in Hollywood knew of him, and that enough of the and, and thought enough of the name to use it as a way to sell tickets instead of just creating a new character. It is understandable that most people don't know very much about Green Hornet. He was created by George W. Trendle, who also created The Lone Ranger, during the heyday of radio dramas. Britt Reed is actually a distant relative of John Reed, aka the Lone Ranger. Both were ahead of their time in so in so much as the heroes worked with their sidekicks, very unusual for their time. For their time period, the Lone Ranger with an Indian with an Indian back in the old west and when the Green Hornet premiered in the 40s, it was unheard of for an oriental sidekick. In the Old West, everyone thought the Lone Ranger was bad because he wore a mask. The Green Hornet purposely wanted people to think he was bad. 
Neither Tonto or Kato was written or intended to be subservient. Kato was Britt Reed's assistant as part of his cover. The Green Hornet is supposed to be a crime boss. That's why he sits in the back of, of the car. Not because he just wants Kato to drive around for him. Both men bring much to the partnership and both are excellent fighters just in different styles. Kato with martial arts and Brit with street fighting abilities. They are also closer than brothers. <gasps> Van Williams and Bruce Lee understood this very well and it came across in their screen time together. Even watching the old show now, there is no hint of Kato being lesser person to Brit Reed. Okay, history lesson over. Ooh. Now go now go on now Wait, what? on Yeah, history lesson <laughs> over. Now onto this complete piece of trash. I actually have no problem with the initial portrayal of Britt Reed as a louse who parties all the time. The problem is he never grows up. If he had some redeeming qualities, it might have made him better. Perhaps a real talent for journalism which he had in the radio and TV shows. Oh. A buddy relationship with Kato, or even the lovable rich rogue somewhat like Bruce Wayne. Seth Rogen has turned the Green Hornet into nothing more than a reject from Animal House. Why after being nothing but a jerk to everyone would Rogen's character all of a sudden want to fight crime? I don't know when we went from pa partners being friends to hating each other but working well together, but it's stupid. I don't even particularly care for the guy playing Kato. He's capable enough actor, but he's nowhere near as cool as Bruce Lee. But that aside, there is absolutely no reason for him to like much less work for Brit. We're supposed to believe that both of these guys hated Brit's dad so much that they are willing to work together, even though there is really nothing even to suggest they are more than rich guy slash assistant. Lenore Case was not the mastermind behind the Green Hornet. She knew his identity and was able to cover for him and help him in his guise as Brit Reed. She was necessary part of the team and actually had a crush on Brit but not the all-controlling figure that we are supposed to believe she is in this movie. The bad guy, with a problem of not being scary enough, was great for about 10 minutes. He created some funny dialogue, but went on for an hour and a half too long. This guy wasn't even worth Kato's time, much less the Green Hornet. He could have been caught by TJ Hooker. Why do we need a superhero if the bad guy is not really bad? I'm not naming uh, I'm not naming the other actors because I'm sure that by being in a movie with Seth Rogen is punishment enough. I wouldn't want my name associated with this film either. If you read this far, I will say there are some things I like. <laughs> okay. If you read this far, I would say there are some things I like. The homage to the TV series in costuming and design of the Black Beauty, as well as the switch in the garage, were a nice touch. There is even a great 30-second scene at the end with the old theme and logo popping up that doesn't last long enough. But it was nice to see. Sadly, this movie had so much promise. There are a lot of possibilities for this character, and Rogan didn't seem to like any of them. 
If you're going to make a movie about a doofus who becomes a superhero, fine. But why do you have to take established characters and destroy them? Please, do yourself a favor. Seek out the old series with Van Williams and Bruce Lee. So it's a much better use of your time. Yeah, established characters like Chudnovsky, but no, he was boring. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the last one. It's a nine-star review. It's called Oh My God. It has imagination, humor, and originality. Sorry, what was the rating? Nine stars. Oh. Oh my god, it has imagination, humor, and originality. It stinks. <clears throat> oh, this guy, we, I like where he's going with it's this. It's from Argentina as well, if you're really <laughs> interested. Um, <clears throat> if you think X-Men Origins Wolverine was an okay movie, then the Green Hornet is not for you. If, on the other hand, you enjoyed the hell out of stuff like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, then you may spend two great hours with this fresh and irreverent take on the old superhero. The Green Hornet answers the question, what if you gave an incredibly talented 10, year, 10, 10 years old kid a couple of million dollars to make an action-adventure movie? That's what, that's what Michelle Gondry did. This film, the film is Full with all of his LP record player in the back side of the ejectable seats to enjoy some classic tunes while you surf the sky. Full of his beautiful creativity. If thinking outside the box scares you, if the thought of taking guys in spandex and fight and crime fighting with masks not so seriously makes you cringe, then stay away from this. Otherwise, prepare yourself for some fun. Take that previous review. So that's it, guys. We did it. We talked about The Green Hornet, the cinematic classic. That's what we had to say on that. But hey, you guys could tell us something. You could give us a review and tell us your thoughts on our, on our show and, and maybe even the movies themselves. You could drop us a line on our Facebook page, which is Spit and Polish Presents. Maybe you could even suggest a movie because, hey, Jono didn't see Green Hornet. Maybe we may not have done it. You know, if Bartek and I were lucky and unfortunate enough to see it, we may have never talked about it. And there may be a movie you're sitting there going, ooh, and they're going to talk about that one. We never do it. Tell us about it. Tell us. You know, other than that, you guys, as always, have been fantastic, amazing, wonderful, splendiferous listening people. What about sensational? You know, you know not sensational enough. Not sensational getting enough. Getting there, getting there. Getting there, getting there. But, um, uh, as always, remember to be kind to each other. And Jono, you did well for your first time as a guest on the podcast. Thank Happy you. to have you on some other time. Ryan, what do you think? Well, it's his birthday. I think there's only one way to end this podcast. Oh, I know. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. <clears throat> I pop by the sailor man! by the sailor man! I'm strong to the finish cause I eat my spinach! I pop by the sailor man!